is the best day of your life. Today? What should we do later? Motivational paradox speech. So remember when we were driving. I came up with this now. It's like the old lady swallowed like I was drunk. You want to fix one thing in your life. I want to be happier. Remembering stuff that I'd heard in the systems thinking introduction. I was remembering stuff from Texture, which is a podcast I started listening to. So let's say I watch a lot of movies. And I feel like I'm just, you know, just doing something for fun. And I want to be doing stuff to improve my life more. Well, you know, movies have a lot of uh, life lessons in them. And sometimes even, you know, practical things you can learn from watching a movie. Like in Fight Club, they teach you how to make soap, <laughs> for instance. So. Not all of it might be, like, they might be making some of it up, but if you know what they're doing. My point is that you can come up with some kind of way to, quote-unquote, kill two birds with one stone, or find a way to turn something that's just for entertainment into something that's also productive. Turn something that's just for fun, time spent having fun, into time that's simultaneously spent learning. So, like, let's say I'm watching movies, you know, I'm taking notes... I'm researching, you know, the references. So, like, let's say they bring up a book or an important theory or an important person. Like, I won't just take the movie's word for it, but I'll look it up and, like, you know, find out the synopsis and so on. So that's cool. So it's like that's a motivational hack, you know, because, like, well, I have no problem watching movies. It's going to be easy for me to start improving my life if I do it by watching movies because I am already going to watch movies. I already know that. But here's where it becomes kind of like a paradox. So now watching movies is more of like an investment, you know, of my time. So before... It was a distraction, I knew it was a distraction, and I used it that way. And yeah, maybe sometimes I overused it or whatever, but... I'm evil. I've said it out You are not evil. I'm not going to let you say that. What, you think it? Do you? Ever? Yes. I got so consumed with Abigail and Chloe. Their lives were everything. Mm -hmm. I almost forgot I had my own, and, and... I just, I had to do something, so I decided to volunteer at, at the theater, and I'm not a performer, I'm not a director, I didn't know what to do, but it just made me feel like I was doing something. I wanted more, you know? I want more of that, that feeling, because that made me feel alive, too. I want more! <laughs> oh. And you know what? What? You're going to be a lawyer again. I mean, I have never seen you like that. For four years I've known you and your face looked different. Your body changed. You miss it. You're right. I fucking miss it! The month of awakening in May. 
as well as those interviews. The more I got done, like I went to New York and I interviewed Blaze and Daniel and you know, I did a whole bunch of stuff. I got a whole bunch of footage. I was working on the podcast and I'm just working, kept working and working more. And it's like the more I got done, it encouraged my motivation. And I was like, wow, I'm so successful. Like, you know, uh, compared to where I was at, I just flipped a switch and I was like, I wanna be doing more and now I'm doing so much more. So I can do this and this and this and I have to do it to like prove myself, you know? And now it's May 31st and I just, you know, realized like a couple of days ago, like I'm not gonna with hoop strength. But for like a couple weeks there, that was my plan because I really don't, you know, have time for it this year anyway. Years of my life, something's wrong when I can see it plain as day. Phantoms and made whims in my mind exemplifies trials and tribulations. Hope she's having fun. Do what she wants to. Talking and saying some of the buzzwords. Start with like together, so soon you're saying all talking. Self hate, internalized white guilt, calm, deceived, steal. Legitimate expression. Five voices of color. I will probably tell that whole story about basketball. And I think that story is like a euphemism for these other occasions that may come up. Probably not those specific ones, but. What was the best day of your life? Because why would I write it down by hand? I'm just, I was just doing that because I'm, I was at the gym and at the last minute I needed Today. to. But I should just put it so I have it. Anyway, I'll talk about some of this. This one? Okay, so I was um, identifying with this script a lot. Um, oh, I think they need the freaking bubbles. Okay, so I mean, it triggered a lot of stuff for me and I talked about this you know um well first of all in metaphysics water element is an uh, attribute of emotion if you're a student of metaphysics like you know this and other things so this is all metaphysical but I'm talking about the water symbolizes the past and it could be different things to different people, but, you know, emotion is generally agreed upon. You know, that's the, the water elemental. Um, past and trauma, obviously. This all goes together. Emotional, past trauma. So, I mean, here's what we have as far as imagery that they conjure up. I mean, we've got the ocean is, is, you know, this water connection. And obviously they're using that as um, a motif, as a, um, a method 
uh, vehicle to to uh, forward the plot progression and drive the story further. So it's not just the background, but it's consciously evoking imagery of the ocean because it's connected to these things which are central to the storyline. So yeah, it's not just like a background or um, where the story takes place or, you know, it doesn't just, doesn't just happen to be there or like some inconsequential, you know, piece of the narrative, but it's a central storytelling device. Another storytelling device is running, and we know that they did this intentionally because of the, you know, the editing and the, um, the footage that keeps showing up repeatedly, showing that, um, a, you know, a memory is being relived, um, but also it's an action that the characters habituated herself to, but even in the commentary with the look inside and the HBO director is, is talking about that. He's like saying she's running, she's obviously running from something and the other characters um, like Madeline are trying to figure out you know, what she's running from and he's talking about that so they're well aware of this motif of running, running from the past, running, running away from the trauma and the emotions that she feels in her body so she's running to physically displace herself and to um, alter her her mood and her. She's running. Um, she's obviously running from something. Physiological characters um, like Madeline. To bring up your heavy guns, saddle up the great white steed, and charge. not supposed to have caffeine um, pretty much like junk food drugs uh, alcohol so then this is my actual speech many of you probably became aware of the hashtag me too movement last fall which was actually started by a black woman way before then I'm survivor of rape and this is why I say me too Two years ago, I met a young woman through mutual friends at AA. Why I started going to AA in the first place is another story, but it goes back to my father being a member and having done it before in Long Island during an earlier time. This woman and I went to the library together after leaving the coffee shop. I read a book on the historical sources used by J.K. Rowling in writing Harry Potter. She read a book on astrology. Later on, we went back to my house and watched one of the Twilight movies as friends. We talked about everything from substance use and relationships to our families and what we were doing at that time in our lives. I was working at Abercrombie, and she was involved in a child custody dispute with her family over her son. 
she was also moving into an apartment, which was part of her plan to get her son back. I helped her move, and once that was mostly done, we hung out at her house and ate dinner. We had talked about relationships in the abstract, but we were not in one, and I had barely known her a few days, but we were starting to spend more time together and share a lot of personal baggage. She seemed to be supportive of me and at the same time appreciative of me as a person, always telling me things like how I was not like other guys or how sweet I was being. I wasn't doing these things because I wanted to sleep with her, but I was attracted to her. We ended up kissing, which I was okay with because we were still getting to know each other, but I liked her, and it was just kissing. Then she started to take a shower. From her bed where I lay, tired after helping her move, I could hear her moan as if getting off in the shower and not at all attempting to hide this fact. She got into her bed in some pajamas, and we were just lying down when she began to touch herself. This was making me uncomfortable, but I also didn't know how to respond because I thought she must really like me to be this turned on by me just being there. Then she started to ask me for sex. In order to stall, I asked her if she had a condom. She said no, and she didn't want to use one. She just wanted to have sex that instant. She touched me, and I was there. She also made me touch her, so we were touching each other, but verbally I kept saying no, and especially not without a condom, and you already have a kid, so not without contraception anyway, not tonight. She argued and pleaded, and then she said she didn't care what I wanted, and she got on top of me and said, I'm going to rape you, and just started having sex with me then. I thought about pushing her off, but I didn't want to be violent toward a woman, and I didn't want to hurt her feelings, and I wasn't entirely sure how I felt about her. I just knew I wasn't ready. I thought about telling her to stop, but physically it didn't hurt, so I let her keep going. Then she changed positions, which required me to do the work, and I felt too overwhelmed to do anything but continue. I came on her, and then it was over. Right after that, we went on to the porch for a smoke, and she said, I feel really bad. I feel like you didn't want to do that. It feels like I raped you. And I told her she had. We never had sex again, but I did continue to see her after a period of not talking to her for a while following that night. At other times, I confronted her about raping me, and her responses ranged from apologetic to joking about it in front of her friend and denying it in cliché arguments you hear from male rapists and abusers in texts, saying things like, it couldn't be rape because I told her I love her. Rape culture is never cool. There are many things we as survivors, allies, and all decent people can do to support the women and men who have been through this trauma. One thing I can think of is to acknowledge that this happens to men and women, and it is done by both men and women. At first, I didn't want to publicly address my Me Too experience and the trauma associated with what happened. I thought I wouldn't be a true feminist if I called her out, and I felt held back by my former ideas about rape that women couldn't rape men and the patriarchal indoctrination that reinforced that belief which I held wrongly. But once I shared a status about hashtag me too and started to talk to my friends who have been through the same thing, the conversation became much clearer. I found out that they were on my side and that they knew more about this than I did. 
having gone through it longer ago, for instance, and having talked about it more with others, I also found out that I was not the only person who ever had this experience in AA, as one of my friends was not surprised when I told her where I met the person who sexually assaulted me. I know I have made some of my friends or strangers feel uncomfortable at times, but I have always valued enthusiastic, radical act-by-act consent, now more so than ever. I think these are literal facts, and not just guidelines or theoretical things we maybe are taught in school or learn through some educational outreach. I think we all need to do a better job with all kinds of boundaries, but this one in particular is of extremely high import to all people, from to all people from married grown-ups to underage kids. I might have not always used consent language when I was younger, for instance, when a girl and I were being quiet so we wouldn't get caught by some adult, but I always asked for permission when I could verbally and did my best to talk about things responsibly while understanding social nuances. I will always be a feminist and I will always be for communicating and respecting other bodies and my own. And I want you to know that rape culture is never cool. I used to think about immature things. You know, like, do you love me? Do you want me? Are you going to call me like you said you would? Is this really your real phone number? Poets so fascinated with madmen. We have much in common. You both turn your backs on life. We both see lack from life. A man has to come to terms with life as it is. Life as it is. By not doing this, you have lived for over 40 years and I've seen life as it is. Pain. You should be the Misery. one If you have decided to go on this journey of mastery, if anything, you should be the one put on the pedestal. She's the tourist and you are the monument. By not fantasizing or seeing them as goddesses, you set yourself apart from all the other gods. I've seen my comrades you fall in battle one in a or die more slowly like, under the lash. You have a massive edge in the competition to spread your seed because you are the that's what we're here to do. We are approaching a point of glory. last words. One of my friends who helped inspire this podcast. This is what she's up to this summer. Powers of horror, a cosmology
So you're going to be hearing from Daniel Cashew and Blaze Doll of Dollhouse, and Daniel Cashew is also um, a member of Mevius, as well as sometimes being a part of other um, bands that he's played in a lot of other bands in the past as well. It's like every time the wind blows, goosebumps. I'm the future. You're going to hear me talking to both Daniel and Blaze about their band and their various uh, musical activities as well as what other activities they enjoy and what they think about and what they like about life. Are you happy by American standards? Like current American standards? What are we specifically... I think it's pretty obvious from me in person and me online that I'm very angry by just everything. <laughs> for a few years now. <laughs> so what instruments do you play? Um, I play guitar, I play bass, and I play keys slash synth, and then I sing in a game. Your voice. My, yeah, yeah, that's what I consider my voice. How long have you been playing instruments? What was your first instrument? Um, my first instrument was piano. I did piano, I did Suzuki method. I was very young. And I started guitar in sixth grade. And I started it because I had three spinal stress fractures. So I couldn't skate and I couldn't dance. And I was always somebody who wanted to be doing something. So when I didn't have the activities after school that were athletic, I was out of my mind and my mom said, okay, like, you want to start guitar for a while, let's do guitar, um, and I did some vocal lessons as well, so that was kind of almost like the thing that was supposed to tide me over until I healed, and it stuck, it didn't stick the way that it is now, um, once I got better I still was dancing, figure skating for a while, I thought I was going to be a choreographer, I was going to join a modern dance company, I was going to Alvin Ailey, so all this like really serious stuff, and um, I eventually just switched to music, and I picked up bass, actually I never took a formal lesson on bass, I picked up bass when I was at school, where I was taking guitar, when I think I started there when I was like 15 or 16, and I just picked up a bass one day there, and I found it so much easier to play than the guitar, and I just felt more connected to it. I had a piano in the house, and then when I was at school of rock and I knew how to play that, they would assign me songs. So. Is that in the city? Or is there one among them? I went into the, yeah, I went to the one in the city. Yeah. But they're, they're all over the globe, really, at this point. Yeah. They're international. Cool, cool. So, how long have you been at. Yes, thank you. How long have you been at it with Dollhouse? I started writing the stuff that we play with Dollhouse probably, some of those songs might be from the summer after I graduated high school, but it was very difficult to find people who wanted to play in like bands who were my age, uh -huh. and I kind of had these 
recording that I made in GarageBand on SoundCloud. Right, right, I remember me. those, yeah. Yeah, I made those and I had those up there for a really long time and I wasn't playing shows with them. And uh, when did we start? Maybe I was like 19 finally had like our first kind of lineup but we had so many different changes before I found Daniel. Actually Daniel came to a dollhouse show and that's how that's how we met officially. We met online before that. Um, so it, it's it's kind of hard to tell because I've been playing these songs with different groups of people for a really long time but I've been playing them with what we have now for less. Uh-huh. When, what what year do you think were the demos, like, that you started doing that? They were probably 2012 or Okay. And did you have any of that stuff, like, written before that time? Like... Like the actual songs? Yeah, like some of the songs that you still play, like, did you write it in 2012? Yeah, I okay. started writing those songs um, when I got my Mac. So okay. before that, I was writing on an acoustic guitar into Audacity, this really cheap computer mic. And I had all these ideas for how I wanted my songs to sound, but I didn't have the resources to make that happen. So when I finally got my Mac, I started screwing around with GarageBand. If you know anything about GarageBand, they have loops. And yeah, so I basically finally got to flesh out the ideas that I had for a really long time. Couple of those songs. Like, yes. So I, I wrote like we don't play them in our set, but I had a couple of songs that I probably wrote like 15 or 16 uh -huh. that I did flesh out then in Garage Band. Okay. And then from there, learning the program, I was like I can finally create new stuff because I have all these other resources at my fingertips. And then I eventually moved into Logic, Pro Tools. But yeah, those demos are probably. And then, like the uh, the ideas, like you're talking about that when you were 15. So, what year was that? <laughs> I can't do that. Um, <laughs> those, like those, aren't even ones that we played. Uh -huh. That's the thing. Like, the the two that I'm thinking of that I know that I flushed out in Garage Band are not in our set. Gotcha. So, like all the songs that we played today had garage band demos before yeah, yeah. we went into Studio G and recorded them. Cool. Yeah. So did you have the name Dollhouse starting from 2012 or even prior to that? I think I did have it in 2012, yeah. Okay. Um, because it, it was my name and it was also one of my favorite bands, Dollhouse. So oh, oh. that's where the spelling comes from and it trips us up a lot of the time because people just want to spell it as the actual word, Dollhouse. And I have to explain, no, it's this obnoxious European spelling. Do you work at School of Rock? I do. Okay, so what do you do now? Lessons? Um, yes and no. So I work for corporate. I do okay. social media for them and marketing. Okay. And then I also work at one of their locations and I direct a show. Okay. So I, I teach lessons here and there, but I actually, um, like my main thing there, aside from like doing the desk holidays, is doing what... I did there when I was a teenager. So right now I'm directing a hair metal show and it's about assigning all of these hair metal songs to kids and casting on them and having them run them in rehearsal. They're covers? Yeah, all okay. covers. Um, there are some songwriting programs there, but that's specifically like the kind of um, 
the main seasonal program there is either a genre or an artist and a tribute show. Okay. And you learn how to play all of their songs or all of those hits in that genre. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And that's for the parents? Like... The parents come, um, some of their friends come, some of their family come. But the cool thing is, is that we don't just do it at the school. They do it in a real rock club. Oh, cool. So like, they play the Knitting Factory in January. Which is so it's just open, like for yeah. business. Oh yeah, right. any anybody can come if they want. Yeah. Um, but that's what makes it different from the other programs is that they actually go out and they play the venues that you go and see actual bands in. Which is uh-huh. cool. Um, and I was an all-star, which means that we actually went on tour, for, like the top one or two percent of the whole global school of rock student base. And then you get to play the even bigger venues, and you get to play some of the festivals. So some of them play Lollapalooza, I played Hanging Festival. Festivals. So it, it, it's a really cool program and the opportunities that it provides you. Have you ever met Jack Black? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I wish, but um, some of the kids just met Jack White, so... Just as good, right? <laughs> Was, does Jack Black actually have anything to do with the School of Rock? Jack Black, he was just in the movie. Right. He didn't okay. have anything before that. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Um, did you have a position that was like through which one? Okay, I thought there, it was like uh, women's issues. Position. Oh, you're probably thinking about MTV. MTV, sorry. Yeah, yeah okay. um, MTV I've done a couple of different things with. I started out on a, um, a panel called A Thin Line. It was about anti-bullying. Okay. We did a couple events with them, and eventually I started... Um, Getting, I got on this panel called Look Different, uh-huh. which wasn't specifically about bullying, um, which was more catered towards like teens online. Okay. Look Different is more about um, bigotry and racism, homophobia. It's a wider scale. Yeah. And it's about combating that and pointing things out and educating people and bringing awareness to some issues. Uh-huh. So when you're on a panel, what are your responsibilities and what do you end up doing? We go to some events sometimes. Um, there's a lot of online support too. So when there's a TV campaign or something to share, there's that. Um, that's a great thing about social media. Uh, one of the coolest things that I got to do with them was a couple years back, there was an event called Fuck Rape Culture, and it was at Babies All Rape. And it was a benefit to unseat the judge oh, And so there were all these celebrities and musicians. I, uh, if she's still here, Laura was one of the people that I interviewed. Um, that was like my first time with Laura, and it was with her other project, Peter Pop. Is that how you connected? Oh, no, no, I actually I connected to a place called The Russ. But that was okay. that. It's funny because it was kind of a separate um, yeah. experience entirely. Small world, but, but yeah. exactly. It was in Brooklyn, everything everything connects itself. But uh, the bigger names is Rose McGowan was there and Andrew Tamlin was there. So we did all these good interviews um, and kind of did support and put stuff on social media. So, uh, what did you think of the? The new charms, baby. 
I can't, I'm, I'll see what happens. But it's charmed is something that I, I grew up with. You hold it sacred I, too, I, right? I do. So do I. I really do. And I vividly remember um, watching it every Sunday. And I remember um, actually going upstate to Lake Placid for a figure skating competition for a little longer than a weekend coming home on a Sunday and trying to get my parents to leave as early as possible so that we could make it home in a six hour drive. We could make it home in time to watch the new episode of Charmed that I mean, we all know that I love horror, and for the longest time, I was making fun of Grave Encounters, and my first experience with Grave Encounters was... Here was yeah. My first experience with Grave Encounters was my dad emailed me the trailer one day, and he said, um, pause at, and then whatever the time stamp was, 1.30, let's say, pause at 1.30, that's you. Okay, so like I go and click on it, and it's this little demon girl thing. Like it's it's kind of funny because it does bear resemblance to me. But I looked through the whole trailer, and I'm like this movie can't be good. And I heard from Russ was one of them. I heard that it was a legitimately good movie, so I went and watched it. Um, kind of in my Blair Witch phase because of the fan footage, and I heard that there's a lot of and I liked it a lot more than I was expecting to and I watched the sequel and I liked the sequel even more than I expected to. So there's um there's one moment in the sequel where Lance Preston says broken promises, mm, yeah, and I wanna make that a meme. <laughs> so that's my favorite meme. <laughs> I'll get behind that. I'll get behind that. <laughs> so speaking of movies and stuff. Were you an extra in something recently? I've been an extra in a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, this, probably the thing that was recently aired was The Americans. I was the singer. I'm not credited. There's, there's, you know, the thing about being an extra is that, especially if you want to make money doing it and you want to get continuous bookings, is that you don't want to be seen. Oh, okay. Because if you're seen on camera, then they can Then they identify you as that person. Right. So there's very few shows where, um, actually it just got cancelled, but there was a show called Rise on NBC um, about a high school theater program, and they just need kids in the high school, so if you see the same kids over and over again, it doesn't matter because right. they're in the high school, but some of these other shows, you got to wait four weeks until you can work again, because if you show up, if you actually, if you go to the Mr. Robot Reddit, which is a show that I was on and I am visible in, it was somebody who actually took screenshots of the same extra and said, who is this person? Who is this person that Sam put into the show? What is their significance? And they showed up here as a homeless person and then they're here on the subway as a more business person. Somebody responded, I was like, that's just an extra that they placed badly. So it's definitely something where you don't want to be featured all the time. But the Americans was really cool because it was doing something that I do right. And it's a period piece. So they did all this hair and makeup on me that I don't usually get, and I got dressed. Okay, I didn't know it was a period Yeah, it's in the 80s. Oh, okay. So I got to wear all this cool 80s stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Apparently some of Ellis's cousins are on that show. Really? I don't, like, 
I don't know them. We don't know them, but his uncle knows who they are. I mean, my uh, uncle knows who they are. That's so funny. We're taking off. Oh, uh, cool. Let me know when you guys are playing um, and send me some stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll send you the tracks. Absolutely. Thanks for coming again. Nice apps, by the way. Very, I like, tried. Like, picturesque. <laughs> like, lead I do a lot of Pilates. Apps, you know what I mean? <laughs> Rock it well. Let's go. Thank You're you. You're a great performer. Thank you. Cool. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, you too. So can I ask you about Greg? Um, or do you want to skip that one? I mean, like, what do you want to ask? <laughs> um, well, I heard that you, like, met through Tumblr. We did. Okay. What do you, what do you think about social media in terms of relationships or just meeting people these days? And was that, like, a unique occurrence for you? I think so. I think that, you know, you have Tinder, you have OkCupid, you have things that people meet on that they're expecting to meet right. somebody on for a relationship. And then you have things like Facebook, where I think Facebook is probably more targeted for people who are still looking for an extra connection that's not platonic. Um, but you're not necessarily looking for that on Tumblr. Not that Facebook is designed for that, but I think it's right. more common on Facebook right. than it is Tumblr because more people have Facebook. So yeah, I, I think it was really Do you still use your Tumblr? Occasionally, yeah. Uh -huh. What else do you like about that platform? Um, I like the gift sets. Okay. I like that the content that you see on there is not what you see on Facebook. Yeah. So, especially for me, like I follow a lot of film blogs. Um, I follow a lot of people who have similar interests to me. So it's not like Facebook where, yeah, there are people who have similar interests to me, but it's also like people I know. So I'm going to see all of their updates as well as opposed to Tumblr where it's like, I followed these people, I have no idea who they are, but I followed them because I like what they're putting out. So, was he like following you because you're a musician or? I didn't have any of my music stuff. Before. Yeah. So you just have like common interests. Or we don't even remember yeah. how. You know, yeah, we, we actually, we tried to figure that out. We couldn't even remember which tag we found each other. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Was it like, but then you're both from Long Island, so... Right. So, like, what was it like meeting someone in person that you, you know, saw on Tumblr? Um, it wasn't that odd. I met Daniel online, and right. I met him in person, and he was in my band. So it wasn't something that was a foreign concept to me. Uh, and I think also, in a place like New York, it's different than if I lived out in the boonies. I lived out in like a small town in Illinois and then I met somebody who I followed online somewhere and then I met them in person. I think it's a little different here just in terms of the way people interact here and how populated it is. So do you feel like you already know someone because you know what what no, kind of stuff they Definitely yeah. not. Because yeah. um, I think that everybody has a different persona for every platform sometimes yeah. that they put on. I feel like some people, I know for me on Facebook, I don't always add people that I don't personally or I don't have a ton of mutual friends with. Um, but on Twitter, like I'll be more open to the general public. So on Facebook, I definitely feel like 
I can put out maybe not more of myself, but I can be a little more loose about it because I know that most of the people who are looking at it are people who have met me in the world. So I think that that's something that plays into it. And the other thing is too is that you see a couple of posts from somebody, unless you're stalking the entire profile too, you don't even do that. But if you just see a couple of posts from somebody and you just categorize them this type. It's uh-huh. not necessarily true right. based on some They could be being person. sarcastic. Yeah. You can't really tell. Yeah, no, exactly. So you, so you definitely feel like even in today's world with social media, and you can represent yourself so much with, with posts and content, you have to meet someone in person and know what they're really like. So, I mean, like, you can get an idea, you, but I don't think you will truly know until you have your own experience with that. That's actually... Not curated, not, not online. Filtered, yeah, not behind the screen, yeah. So, you like Riverdale? Right? I do like Riverdale. Is that one of your favorite shows right now? I don't know if I call it my favorite. Um, but you like what they did with that? I, I do like, I think that the first season was legitimately good. Um, they knew what it was. It wasn't trying too hard. I mean, yeah. It's crazy. It's Archie and all yeah. this dark Did you grow stuff. up on Archie or? Kind of. I grew up more on Josie and the Pussycat. Okay, exactly. Is, that was going to be my next question. Do you so identify with Josie on I, that show or what you I grew up on? I was obsessed with Josie. Um, and the I show remember, or just as a kid? Yeah. Yeah, no. I was obsessed with, um, I was obsessed with the cartoon. I had a couple of the comics. I wasn't really huge on the comics, um, but I was big on the 2001 movies. Big on that. Um, to the point where I will still go on eBay in this year and look for memorabilia that they sold in part of the city okay. and yeah. like to complete my collection from when I was in the first or second grade. Remember that movie came out because I feel like I owe it to myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I think it was Mondo that just put out the soundtrack on Vital. Who's Mondo? They're, they put out like a whole bunch of different soundtracks. Okay, so it's a label or? Vinyl. Yeah, I, I, it, it's wider spread enough because they have posters okay. um, and t-shirts too, but as soon as they announced that, I was like, I need to set a reminder for when this, because it's always limited, like I need to set a reminder for when this goes on sale. And I that was of the 2001? Yeah, and they put together like this really cool booklet with oh, some cool. stuff that hadn't been seen before um, but yeah I, I love them I, love I think them. I might know who you're talking about I feel like they did a Twin Peaks thing but I, I don't know if that's the same thing they it reminds did. me of something they probably do they do a lot of fun stuff do you think the new Riverdale show is derivative of Twin Peaks at all oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's 100% influenced. well um Shelly what's her name Magic. oh yeah she's on it yeah how do you say that uh Magic. Maybe okay, I so don't actually know. That's a good question. What what ways can you see it on there that like you're like, oh yeah, this is the same, or, well, or is it just overall like tone and stuff? It's it's the diner. It's the way they talk. It's the whole murder mystery in the first season. Right. Because that's not that something that was ever in Archie before right, this. Right. Okay. Which is what makes it so shocking that they put these Archie characters into this crazy situation and even so much more in season two where he's essentially in the mall. Okay. So, wow. Archie is? 
No spoilers. Well, I mean, you can spoil it for me, but I don't want to spoil it for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, what he's doing with Veronica's dad. I'm a little behind. I'm a few episodes behind. Okay. So we're on season two? I'm on currently. season two, yeah. Or you're on season two. What's out now? Season three or season two? No, it's it's still season two. Season, okay. I th- it's just later than, I think I'm like three or four episodes behind. Okay. What about Life is Strange? Oh. <laughs> um, I think about that game way too often. Yeah, do you play it? Do you have, oh, a, do you have a system? Um, my system, so I never was a console gamer. Uh, okay. um, I never had time for it. And the yeah. first time I got a PS2 was when Guitar Hero 3 came out. I was obsessed with Guitar Hero. And my mom got me a PS2 for Christmas. And I don't know if the PS2 was out at that point. It might uh-huh. have been. Um, but I essentially, I played through Guitar Hero once on Medium, and then I never played through <laughs> Um, and I never played any other games beyond that. My only experience with that would be when I went to people's houses yeah. and I played with their... So I always played PC games, um, not too many. I uh-huh. grew up on these Nancy Drew games, which oh, I'm yeah. still really obsessed with. Um, but very simple, like point and click. Um, yeah, like the hidden object things. Right, yeah. yeah. With a, kind of a telltale element yeah, yeah, yeah. before that. Right, right, right. Um, but Life is Strange, I found through being a Sparkle Horse fan, and Sparkle Horse's song Piano Fire is on the soundtrack. Oh, okay, it cool. plays in Chloe's movie. And so one day I had that on YouTube, and I saw all these people commenting about Chloe. I'm like, who the fuck is Chloe? Right, so, Chloe got me here, Life is Strange. Right. So I eventually Googled, and it sounded like something that I would like. So I downloaded it, and I just didn't play it for a couple of years. You got it on Steam? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I downloaded it and I just I didn't play it for a really long time. It was yeah. kind of something where I was like, oh yeah, this this is cool. I found out about it through this band that I'm really, like this person really, um, that I'm really influenced by. And um, finally I played it. It really affected me. And I was really happy when prequel was announced. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really strong story. So you played it all the way through, and then there are like different episodes and stuff too, right? I so played all the episodes. I played all the episodes in the prequel and the bonus episodes. So you played everything that's come out so I far. I played everything. Okay, cool. I've over <laughs> So who's Sparkle Horse? Who's in Sparkle Horse? Sparkle Horse is Mark Linkus. Okay. Um, who's in for tomorrow, longer with us. directed the music videos, right? Or he actually did something on the yeah. musical. Um, Iggy Pop is also on it. Uh, Frank Black. It's, it's a really uh, 
rich and versatile list of people. Julian Casablanca is on there too. It's, it's Are you talking about the Life of Strange soundtrack? Or? No, uh, Dark Knight of the Soul. The Dark Knight of the Soul. But Life of Strange soundtrack is pretty good too, yeah. I yeah, I, I downloaded the game to my phone. Oh, this so the before, Yeah, before the storm. So I don't know that much about it, so I don't know like how much of the actual big picture that contains. I played first game. Yeah. I wouldn't do it final. Okay. So what is it that I'm playing? That's the prequel or that Did you have it on your iPhone? Yes, yeah, it's, it's before the storm, oh, yeah. I think. Oh really? I, I didn't think know they made that for the iPhone. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just like the strange. Yeah. It's I'm at the part where you're Max and well, like you gotta stop the shooting in the bathroom and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So but I don't know thing. if it's like the full thing either. It's just like the first they episode. They did make it the full thing. Um, there's five episodes, but they just put it out for the iPhone. Okay. But when I first got it on my phone, I was like, there's no music. There's no sound. Because I've been watching the playthroughs online. Because I was like, I don't have a console. I can't get this shit. I don't have a PC. You mute everything, yeah. Yeah, so on my phone, it would, there's no like talking. There's no, I was like, I might as well just watch the YouTube playthrough. But then I realized I just have to plug my headphones in, and it works. It just won't play it through the speaker for whatever That's reason. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Rachel Amber. Okay. Rachel Amber. She's the Laura Palmer of the game. Okay. Is that you? Am I Laura Palmer? <laughs> or Rachel Amber, I don't know. Um, In some way. I don't eventually. think I'm as mysterious as you'll, you'll see when you play the game. I don't want to spoil it. She's very much and, and there's also Twin Peaks references. Everything. Firewalk. Uh-huh. Is there any other... Uh, major ones that aren't too big of spoilers, I mean, or that you really the love. Whole game, when uh -huh. you play through it, you'll just see that the nods are everywhere and the feel is there. Yeah. Um, there's, I think it's in episode two. If you walk into the bathroom in the diner, firewalk with these carvings in the mirror. Oh, okay. Uh, and you just you look at when you see Rachel's whole story, she's very much the Laura Palmer type and what she goes through, what she does to people, how she disappears. It's, it's very simple. Cool. Um, this might be somewhat of a spoiler, but probably not huge. But uh, okay, so so like the strangers like uh very much a decision-making game, right? And that affects how, sort of, it, 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 I, I don't know exactly, but it has some out, out, uh, effect on the outcome. Right. Do you save Chloe or Arcadia Bay? I save the Bay uh -huh. uh, first. Uh -huh. And then I did it again. And the prequel, really changed my mind about Chloe and full, so when I first started the game Warren your first introduction to Warren is he's talking about necromantic and he's talking about cannibal holocaust which are two movies that I really enjoy so I kind of was like this is already who I'm gonna hang out with because he's making all these cool movie references and you go back and you play the game and like 
that's not really the choice. It's really always about Max and Chloe's relationship. Uh-huh. And when you play the prequel and when you play the bonus episode, you see how deep it really runs. And especially like you never really get everything in the first playthrough. But you go through again and you see you see all the hints, you see all the history that they have. And Everything Max does is football. Everything. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's in the story. Yeah. It's like she's constantly rewinding and saving her. She's you leave her journal she's just very devoted to this person. That's the person. So it makes sense for her to essentially sacrifice the whole town for somebody that she's spent the past four or five days doing all of this for screwing up the entire timeline of the universe of what you want to say. And it's her childhood friend, right? That's her childhood friend. Another one, I don't know which part this is, but... Oh, and also, I, I saw somewhere that you can do both. Do you know about that? There's a way to do both. I don't there's know. There's a mod, yeah. There's oh. a mod where you can do both. Um, I haven't tried that. Okay. Do you know which part I'm talking about if I say, did you tell Rachel the truth? I did tell Rachel the truth because I thought that's what Chloe would do. And I was kind of disappointed because then if you do that, she doesn't get to meet her... Ooh, should I say the spoiler? You can say the spoiler. Okay, so she doesn't get to meet her real mom. Oh, shit. If you tell her the truth. So, um, but I I honestly, I thought that's what she would do. That was kind of the the difference between playing as Max and Chloe. Like, on my first playthrough as Max, I was like, well, this is what I would do. And then on my second playthrough as Max, I was like, well, but this is what Max would do. I've gotten to know Max now. I've read her journal entries. I've seen what she's done, how she responds to people. This is what she would do. And Chloe was the same thing. You saw how Chloe acted throughout the entire game. When you go back and you play as her, and you don't have to rewind element because obviously she can't Um, So I, I really thought that you know, she hated what Rachel's family did to her. So that's that's what she would choose. She would want Rachel to know. Oh, okay. And especially after the conversation that she has, or hallucination, with her dead father about, um, did you ever hide anything from me? Well, you'll never know. Like, people in this scene who have accusations against them. Yeah. If... If that were someone that you were a fan of, would you like stop supporting their music? Yes. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Um, because that's, that's already happened. Who? Can you give an example? Uh, like Poppy. Poppy, the yeah. YouTube person? Yeah. What's the deal with that? Um, Poppy and Titanic. I mean, Titanic Sinclair and Mars Argo, we knew that there was something that happened there, but when Morris finally went public with her story and provided all that evidence and said that Poppy was complicit in some of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, do you not like Game of Thrones? 
Or are you just not into yeah. it? Oh, or so do you actively I not like it? <laughs> are you just messing with people? Um, like, or are you just really not like personally not like it? I do like a lot of people yeah. with Game of Thrones because I know it gets them so because mad. They're, they're really because they're really into it. Game of Thrones so much. They're dedicated to it. I've watched two episodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're just like, what's the big deal? Um, I, I didn't really like the first two episodes that I watched. I, I will say that. Um, however, I will say that people also said to me, oh, it gets better past the first season. And honestly, I just don't feel the need to invest that much time in it. Um, I might eventually give in the peer pressure. We'll see. But... It's very easy to make fun of Game of Thrones because I feel like Game of Thrones has a fan base similar to Rick and Morty's fan base. In what way? Um, there's a lot of people in there where... How do I put this? They just are very dedicated to what they like and they mm-hmm. were defended them all. Ladies and gentlemen, we got 10 minutes to close and yeah, they'll just—it's it, easy to pull. And if you if you look at my Facebook statuses, I like to I like to poke fun at myself too. I'm not just making fun of people. I I very much self brag on a regular basis. Yeah, that that kind of relates to what what Daniel and I were talking about, kind of like internet culture and sort of abs- absurdism and right. like irony. But bringing up like real, real issues and emotional issues, but using humor as a method of talking about things. There are some like problematic things with Game of Thrones too, like some comments that Jason Momoa made. I don't know if you heard about that. He apologized. I I do think that if somebody genuinely apologizes and they because we've all done, we're not none of us are perfect. So he legitimately apologized and said that that was it. And he didn't like take this apology where it was a cop out and he tried mm-hmm. to pin it on something else. Right. It was an authentic yeah. uh, change of heart. So, but I mean, but there is rape and stuff like that. That's what, that's what he was referring to. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's obviously a story. And you know, how do you feel? And like, even in Twin Peaks, some people would say David Lynch is a misogynist. Like, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about art as a medium for, you know, exposing things and commentary, and then showing people things, and some people don't I like bring it. Bring up a show called Sweet Vicious that was fortunately canceled after a season, and it was about two girls on a college campus going after Lucas and a vigilante or something. And it was really well done. And even though it was like every week they had somebody new to go after and there was a new case, I never felt like they were exploring anyone. Mm-hmm. And there was one scene in particular that... Okay. Can we do it in just a minute? Can we do it in a couple minutes? In a couple minutes. I'll sign it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the cab will be here. Yeah. Oh, okay.
Okay, so, so, you know, I, I heard probably through Ellis that, like, you know, because I went to the show where Jenny V was there, and then I heard that, like, you were invited to Europe, and that didn't really work out to do, do a tour with her, and that was, like, a frustrating experience. Yeah. Where did this come from? What do you mean? Like, where did I hear like, it? Like, yeah, no, like, where did well, Why you... am I asking it? Yeah. We were, because, like, I went to that show, and then I was asking Ellis about, like, oh, how does Blaze know Jenny V and stuff? Yeah. And was... um, I mean, like, the thing is, is that there were a lot of scheduling things there, and I went and did... I'm not saying it was, like, her movies. fault or anything. Yeah, I mean, like, I was also at my other job. <laughs> uh -huh. So you couldn't have gone anyway kind of thing? Or... Something where you always have like a family member. It, it was just very yes. difficult. Uh -huh. And I still like I've gone and played with Jenny. Since. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Does that? No, yeah, I know. Does that? Is that kind of stuff gonna happen in the in the music business like a lot? So like how things falling through. Yeah. So like how how can you make sure that that things are going to be like work out as expected and stuff. Sorcery. Sorcery. Mind control. Um, time travel. Yeah, I mean, it, it's on all levels. There's bigger things. There's smaller things that fall through. People come and say something to you. There's things that get paid. It's, it's something so where because people are in so many different projects, yeah. it's ne it never goes anywhere. If it goes as planned, then like that's pretty That's like the exception. Yeah. Cause like tonight, obviously. Yeah. You feel there bad. you go. Um. You did that song "Special" by Garbage. That cover. I did. Yeah. It was What's what, what do you like about them? Or like, are they another big influence on you? Um, I love Shirley's voice. I love Shirley's lyrics. I love. He did utility, because uh, he plays control women, and he buys things for that. Julie's a fantastic front woman. I love what she stands for on and off stage. Yeah. How would you define dream gaze? Is that what you define yourself as? Um, I don't know what I, I... It's funny, because when people ask that, I never know what to say. We have songs that are very changeable, and then we have songs that are a little bit more supportive. So I think start out in a kitchen. Overall, that is indie rock. Yeah, I okay. And then I say, we have some dream pop songs. We have some post-pop songs. Music. Several years So, it was great. Uh, when I'm writing to do a password, when do things come out as far as the Dollhouse project? Like, when is your release? Come out? Yeah, Maybe it's funny, there were songs out already. The first one is First Mistake, and you get it by signing up for our mailing list on our website, which is dollhousemusic.com, D A H L H A U S M U S I I don't know how to spell it. The other one is Helium, we release that on Valentine's Day. Um, that's on Bandcamp, Dollhouse on Bandcamp. And then the other one that's going to be coming up next is Seasick, which we had in a documentary show called Bodega that cool. premiered at um, St. Vitus. And um, Danny Warhol's on the soundtrack, Kuzi Boy's, a lot of artists. It's funny because I'm a little bit of a So that'll be the next one. Do you have a full length 
album. Yes. We have an EP that's uh -huh. done, and I'm trying to put that's it into an album right now. The material is done, but we gotta get back to the studio. Okay, so you're gonna release it as an EP and an album, or? I am just um, um, As it stands now, when we release that third song, that the EP will be done. You want me to put in my credit card stuff? Yep. Okay. Um, oh, you guys want to do a selfie real quick? Yeah. Sleep. Memory that's all you got. You can meet him. So what What's the sense? Naze hiki saku no ka. The same shit? Like the shirt. <laughs> so... So, um, first of all, how do you pronounce the band that you play? Mevious. Okay. Because yeah. I was confused. I thought it was Medius because I thought it was like a Delta. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, that's not actually a Delta. Okay, cool. Why did you use the uh, section symbol as the S? Um, you know, that, that's a good question. Uh, there's no real reason. Um, I just like how it looked. Okay, cool. <laughs> so well, as far as the name Mevious, what does it mean? Where did it come from? Uh, Mevious was originally, back in 2016, a thing that I was going to... It was going to be the name of an EP that I was going to do, like a solo electronic instrumental EP. Mm -hmm. And it was just going to be called... Like, the EP was going to be called Mevious. Okay. Uh, and that is the brand of cigarettes that I was smoking oh, during cool. that point. Mevious is, like, probably, like, the most popular brand of cigarettes in Japan. And there's, like... 20 or 30 different varieties of them. Uh, most of them are actually kind of god awful. Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand some of the flavors. There's one that's like option B, and it's, you know, like the Camel Crush is where you bite it and it turns oh. to menthol, except this is like you bite it and it goes from tasting like soap to really, really, really tasting like soap. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> you said it was like a solo electronic project. Is that still what it is? Just expanded into a longer term project that you're committing yourself to? 
Um, I guess, you know, what happened is I was, uh, I was writing a lot of that stuff while I was traveling. Okay. Um, and I had taken a one-week train trip that started in New York and then was finishing in California. Mm -hmm. um, so there was an observation car in the train where, like, you could... Yeah, it was, like, I all remember glass those, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so I would go into there, into that car at, like, four in the morning and set up my laptop, my keyboard, my headphones, and my acoustic guitar and just, like, write and compose. Um, and then I wrote a couple of songs when I got to California. Um, and then when I came back, I showed it to uh, to Richie. Um, Richie currently is in a project called uh, Delilith, and he's also worked with uh, Jenny V. Oh, cool. um, and you know a bunch of other people. Uh, I showed him the stuff, and he was like, "Oh, dude, like, let's like want me to co-produce this with you." So it. It, it grew into a live band. Uh-huh. Um, so what's the lineup? Uh, well, right now, it's, right now we've got Mevious 3.0. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, Mevious 3.0 has been in existence since October. Uh, so it's me on vocals, guitar, um, production, and keys. Um, Michiko on guitar and backing vocals and Lachlan on drums. So how did you meet the other people? Um, I've known Lachlan for a while, um, just through uh, his old band Dream Driver, had played a show with my old band's Dialogue right. in Jersey a number of years ago, and then we uh, were part of like this music video shoot together, and we were always just like, hey, let's hang out again or something. Um, at the time, he was living in Jersey, uh, now he's living in Brooklyn, so I was just like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a new live band. Um, and then he was like, oh yeah, totally. And Michiko will play guitar. Because um, they, they do a, a lot of work together, they live together, um, so it's really easy communicating with them because I just need to get in touch with one of them. Gotcha, <laughs> yeah. Them. Cool, cool, cool. What do you use to uh, do the electronic side of it? Um, everything, uh, I basically, I have a, a bunch of different VSTs. Uh -huh. um, I have like the, the Minimo VST, um, a bunch of stuff, uh, Roland JDXI, um, and then like a whole bunch of different crazy patches of like sounds from like Logic X Pro and Logic 8. Um, so, you know, it's just like, I take a lot of that stuff, and some of it, after I've created the parts in Logic, I run it out of my amplifier, I think my bad, no, I run it out from, from the output into my guitar pedals, and then from the guitar pedals into my amplifier, and then out of the amplifier into the, um, the USB interface. Cool. So... There's so how long have you been doing like sort of electronic stuff? Um, I've, I've liked electronic music and production for a really long time. And, um, you know, instrumental stuff and electronic stuff. I guess I really started experimenting more with starting in like 2011. Mm -hmm. But that was just sort of, you know, it was a thing that I didn't take very seriously. Um, and that was around a little before I started like DJing regularly. 
So then after a while, you know, started DJing a lot um, and getting more used to like, I guess, getting like a familiarity with like house music and like okay. trance and stuff. And I've always liked synth pop and stuff. So yeah, um, yeah. So it just kind of made sense. How long have you uh, actually been playing an instrument? Uh, I've been playing. Uh, I think I started playing. It's uh, started playing bass at around like fourteen okay. or so, uh, and then you know from there just like. Although I guess before that, like my dad did show me some piano, like. Was your dad a musician? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, both both my parents like have have a degree of familiarity with music. So. That's cool. Well, what was your first song? Um, I mean, I, your, your favorite early song? I think. Uh, I don't know. I think I usually I just like hate all of my songs like okay. three months after I write. <laughs> I feel like I've heard you say that before. I think. Yeah. <laughs> So you're, that always is driving you to create new, yeah. new sounds and stuff. Cool, man. Oh, you're fine, man. Um, okay, so you're in the Americ and football group. Do you like their new EP? You know, I actually really, really... It took me a minute to, like, get used to LP2. Uh -huh. But then when, when I had really familiarized myself with it... Um, like I, I really, really like fell in love with it. Uh, I think my favorite track on it is uh, "I've Been So Lost for So Long." That's a good uh, one. But you know, like when I saw them at uh, when I saw them at Brooklyn Steel, like that was it was a pretty. Uh, pretty and that was an LP two show, or, or yeah, that? yeah, okay. cool. Pretty important moment in my life. <laughs> Would you drive to the American Football House in Urbana just to take a picture? You know, there was a conversation that came up in the American football posting yeah. where like a bunch of people were trying to organize a road trip yeah, okay. of people like from the Northeast to go and check it out. And I was so down to uh, to do it, um, but it, it just didn't quite work. Or would you live there potentially if it was up for rent in Urbana? <laughs> <laughs> you know... If I had like all my shit really squared away here to the degree that I want it to be, I would I would totally like get away for like six or seven months and mm -hmm. just like write a record there. Cool, cool. That would be fun. Are you only currently doing medias? Are you in other bands? Well, you're in other bands, right? Hey, do you have a cigarette? Do I? May I? Uh, let's do one and a lighter. And it's a lot of requests. No problem. So, I mean, I guess right now is a pretty insanely busy time because, like, you know, like Mevius is like doing a lot of a lot of shows, um, and then in addition to that, like, I have I've been doing tons of DJ gigs. Um, working on some remixes, and then also, like, you know, playing in Dollhouse, 
Um, occasionally, I play bass and do backing vocals for Hexus, uh, and Hexus is a project that I I produce and uh, compose the music for. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so, so a lot going so you have on. a lot on your plate. Yeah. Is that like the most you've had at one time or have you had multiple things like that all kind of like always going on, right? It, it, I feel like if I only have one thing going on, like I, I lose focus uh -huh. because then, then I... Then you focus on like normal life? Yeah, you're like, yeah. Yeah. I don't like, I don't want to focus on normal life. <laughs> right, right, right. So what was Death Valley High? Um, Death Valley High... Uh, I, I would I would very much like to play guitar for Death Valley High again in the future, and uh, it'll it'll happen I'm sure. But that was uh, like another thing you had going on like simultaneously with with a lot of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, and actually a lot of Mevious uh, songwriting I did while I was on tour with Death Valley High. Um, so Death Valley High has been a band for about twelve years. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, and like they. Uh, I did several tours playing guitar, doing backing vocals for Death Valley High, opening like five week tour in the U.S., opening for uh, Filter, um, a huge tour in Europe, playing like 25 different countries, opening for Killing Joe, um, more tours in the U.S. with Orgy, uh, Power Man 5000, Nehi Fox, um, and uh, yeah, that was that was a really great, great experience. Uh, you know, there was uh, there was a recent tour. Uh, I guess it's not that recent. It was last year that I was unable to do uh, due to uh, due to some some medical things. Are you alright now? Uh, it was you, or it, yeah, it was it was me. I was uh, I was in the hospital. Um, so, uh, couldn't really go on tour being in the hospital, but it was also a short tour, uh -huh. um, and the uh, previous guitarist, Sean, was able to do it, uh, and Death Valley High is currently going on tour, uh, and Sean is playing guitar for this tour as well. Gotcha. So, so what about dialogue? Is that a thing of the past, or...? Yeah, dialogue. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dialogue's last show was in 2016, and and Dialogue also hadn't played for about six months when that show happened, and it wasn't even like there wasn't a single member of the original lineup okay. playing that show, with the exception of me. Mm -hmm. um, Did you start the band? Yeah, uh -huh. Dialogue had. Kind of started out as me uh, just writing like on acoustic guitar, uh, and then became a band with the addition of uh, John Chapman and Brian Larue, um, and then eventually John Chapman was unable to continue living in New York, so he moved, and then got a different drummer. Uh, but Brian Larue continued playing bass. Uh, until Blaze started playing bass, oh, okay. at which point Brian then moved to guitar, and Dialogue became a four-piece. Um, but on that last show, um, Brian was, I believe he was in Europe, like speaking at a conference or something. So Richie filled in on guitar for that show, and it was a really fun show. But I also felt I was like, wow, 
I feel like I'm singing weird cover songs. Like, but they're your own songs. Yeah. Like, so I, I read somewhere like a status there or something that you still have some unreleased or even unrecorded dialogue material. Yeah. That you're considering to, like still recording in some form. How would that like take take shape? Well, there's a lot of a lot of dialogue stuff that is fully professionally recorded um, and just never saw the light of day. Um, and it's like almost two full albums worth. Uh-huh. Uh, and then a lot of stuff that like record- the recording was started and then never finished. And then at one point, this stuff started getting kind of electronic. And then at that point, it's hard to like differentiate where dialogue ends and Mebius begins. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think some, some of that material might be reborn as Mevious material, okay. or I might do like one more dialogue show, but it would be like, oh, dialogue reunion, except it would actually just be all new people. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Uh, so what does Mevious have in the work? As far as recording projects, as well as tours. Um, so the uh, the first full-length album, uh, Lucky, is complete. Um, is that spelled some special way? or nah. No, it's okay. Surprising, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I just had to talk. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's completely recorded, fully mixed, and um, is currently being mastered. So uh, just trying to see who will pick that up. As far as a label? Um, yeah, okay. yeah. And there's a, I mean, there are a few interesting things in in the works with that that I'm unable to talk about. Okay, that's fine. But, um, yeah. In addition to that, um, there are two music videos that are going to be coming out soon. Okay, yeah, that was one of my um, other questions, too. And, but uh, you can talk about that now, too. Yeah. yeah, two music videos coming out soon, two more that are to be filmed. Okay. Um, and then, oh, so two that are already done? Yeah, Oh, yeah. cool. Awesome. I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot. Um, by the end of this year, like, there will be, like, probably, like, in different shapes and forms, a total of, like, four releases coming from Mebius. Cool, cool, cool. And what about as far as touring? Do you have tours set up? Like, do you have places that you want to tour to? Two people you want to tour with? Any, like, what's what's the bucket list for that or your fantasy for that? Or what's actually already being put into motion? Uh, I, I was hoping to go back to uh, England this summer and play Hero Fest again because it was really fun going over to England last summer and playing Hero Fest, but um, it, it, that's just not feasible at this moment. Um, but I am going to be hitting the road with a place both wonderful and strange cool. in June. And um, how do you know them, by the way? Yeah, I'm not even really sure. Okay, it's, the sort of it's one thing. of those things. It's like, yeah, of course we know each other. We're in the same city and the same scene, and we have all these mutual friends, and we've been following each other on Facebook and all the social media for two years. Right. <laughs> so what, when did that relationship actually start where you were started doing shows with them and stuff? like? Um, 
we, we started becoming more of a regular presence uh, in one another's like real life. Um, I guess maybe about a year and a half ago. Cool. And and so they are connected with this whole like Twin Peaks scene. Yeah. Um, are you like starting to get more into that? Have you done stuff in like a Twin Peaks setting before hooking up with them, kind of? Or um, I haven't I haven't performed or been involved in the creation of anything Twin Peaks themed or like heavily Twin Peaks themed in the past. Uh, so this is your first like event that's Twin Peaks based fully. Yeah, I guess. It's, I mean, I've been to a number yeah, of right. different David uh, Lynch okay. uh, events. Cool. And like, so you've I've actually written, heard him talk and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And you know, I've, I've also like always been a very big fan of David Lynch. Um, there have been a few, a few very, very subtle uh, references to some of his films in some of my songs. Um, but uh, do yeah. you want to do you want to give any of those away or? Nah. You just have to. You have to find it, yeah. or maybe not. Okay. <laughs> well, we kind of already covered this, but what projects have you been working on for the past few years before Medius? I guess Dialogue, Dollhouse, and Death Valley High. Are there any other ones that we haven't talked about? Uh, let me think. And you said Hexus was one. Yeah, Hexus is another one. Um, briefly, uh, Shelter Dogs and the Tyler Trudeau attempt. Which are basically the same, which are the same band. Uh, Shelter Dogs is a band that was originally based out of New Haven, Connecticut, um, and uh, Brian Larue, who was playing bass and guitar in Dialogue, he had started that band when he was going to college in New Haven, uh, and then when he moved to New York and we became friends, and he was like, "Hey, uh, my bass player isn't playing with me anymore. Do you want to, you know, be into it?" And it was really fun, um, kind of like, you know, Dialogue had a bit more of like a, a dark, uh, dark and I guess sad but still pop side of post-punk going mm -hmm. on, whereas uh, Shelter Dogs, you know, very much post-punk based, but, you know, less, less cure and more... I guess more kind of like almost garagey. Uh, so there was definitely more of like a gang of four, like wire kind of thing going on. And uh, that was fun. Um, so those are two different bands. I'm not even familiar with those ones. Yeah. I, are those American bands or? Uh, they're like old school, like UK post punk. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Let me think. What other bands? Uh, played with uh, the band Heaven for a little while, doing bass for them, and they're like, you know, New York-based shoegaze band, they've been around forever. They actually just last week played at uh, Irving Plaza, doing oh, cool. an opening slot for editors. So. Okay. Yeah, my boss asked me if I was going to Irving Plaza. <laughs> Cause you know, with the whole with the whole mix up, I had to get today off from work or yeah. tomorrow off from work. And he was like, "No, it's cool, man." But are you going to Irving Plaza? He's like, "No, the Kingsland." What's your favorite venue, by the way? Impromptu question. Um, 
I really like going to show, uh, I like going to shows at Brooklyn Steel. Okay. Um, I like going to shows at Mercury Lounge. Uh, I like going to shows and just hanging out at Ceremony. Uh, I feel like I feel like my answer was like unfairly biased because I I work at or with all of those places in gotcha. one way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your LA connection? How do you like the LA scene? Like, how is it different than New York City or the East Coast in general? Um, I like the weather there way more, <laughs> uh, especially like the horrific winters and shit oh, yeah. here. Like, just that just doesn't happen there. Um, I try to go to LA as often as possible. I have a lot of really great friends there. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great musicians that I know there, producers, um, one of Dialogue's former producers, uh, Keanu, he now lives in LA, and he's worked with like some huge, huge projects, he's worked with like Gwen Stefani and stuff, uh, and then, you know, like other musicians that I know, like the members of Orgy, and like Power Man 5000, and Filter, and stuff like that. They all live in L.A. Uh, my friend's tennis system. Okay. They live in L.A. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoy the whole, like, L.A. scene. And, uh, yeah, try to make it out there, like, at least twice a year if I can. Cool. So, can you talk about your Japanese heritage? And I, I, there's a kind of follow-up question, but... I was wondering about that version of Grey Skies that you did where you were singing in Japanese. So, um, the first time that I actually like really became interested in music, uh, when I was young, I really had no interest in music. Uh, I I wanted to I wanted to be a comic book artist, um, and uh, when I didn't get into the Manhattan High School of Art and Design, I was just so depressed, and I was like, "That's it! I'm never drawing again." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then my dad was like, "Well, you've never like met some of your family. Just go to Japan." you know, hang out with your cousin. Um, and uh, my cousin Kaori brought me to uh, brought me to a show that was like, you know, some like indie bands and I was just like, this is so fucking cool, this is exactly what I wanted to <laughs> So Japanese music though? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just like unsigned, like independent Japanese bands. Nice. And How old were you? I was like 13. Okay. Um, so as soon as I got back to New York, then I was like, all right, now I'm doing music. Are you still exactly. close with that family, your cousin? Uh, I do talk to her on the regular, and, um, you know, like, we, we keep each other, like, posted about, uh-huh. like... Like, have you seen her since that trip? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I cool. saw her again, uh, yeah, I've, 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 been, I've been back to Japan since then. Cool. Uh, so, that's another place that I'm like, really would like to get back there again. When was the latest time you were there? longer ago than I really want to admit. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so what about that Grace Guys? How did that happen? Like that you decided to do that song, like that version of the song? 
Did, was it just like impromptu? You were just like... It was, uh, it was the sort of thing... Um, uh, I, had, uh, I had started doing a lot of solo performances, uh, solo acoustic performances, so I decided... You know, I would just like start recording some of it, um, and it was it was all dialogue material, but done in a completely different fashion. Mm -hmm. So that was that was part of it, uh, and I was I was thinking of recording this EP that I never got around to finishing, um, which it would just be like kind of stuff that was just like imperfect, like one takes. Uh -huh. um, and uh, and that was one of the things that was going to be part of it. Um, but uh, amusingly, as of recently, the Japanese version of Grey Skies has now been turned into a Mevious live song. Oh, okay. And is kind of like more of like an electro, like synth pop version. Well, that's cool. I'd like to hear that sometime. So was that a live, as in at a venue, or it was just like acoustic? Uh, it was. It was just like, just like kind of like one take in my mm -hmm. bedroom. Gotcha. So, but like when you did the Japanese version, did you like plant, kind of think of that ahead, or did you just kind of sit down and was like, oh, I'm gonna do this, and like you knew it well enough to just like say it that way, or it, say it in Japanese. I mean, I, I wish I had that degree of fluency. Uh, that It took a long, long time to figure out the translation. Gotcha. And a lot of, like, confirming. It's just like, uh, wait, did I, like, do this right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I was just like, I, I figured that that was something that I wanted to do. Um, also, like, there's so many really cool... Japanese shoegaze bands uh, like My Dead Girlfriends. That's like probably one of my favorite. Um, and like Shoujo Skip and like you know a lot of really cool bands. And I was thinking like, okay, it would be cool if I were to like actually like maybe see about like doing some touring in Japan, opening for some of these bands. Um, so I was like, yeah, I might as well have like a couple songs in Japanese. Um, so there, there are a, a total of three dialogue songs that are in Japanese, actually. Um, and Solitaire was another one, and that was released um, on like basically just like SoundCloud and Bandcamp only, okay. uh, as well as like we. Uh, would sell like cassettes of it live that would have a download card. Cool. Uh, we kind of covered this one. The Grey Skies music video, I like that a lot. Did you plan on doing Mevious music videos? You said you, you had some done already and more coming. Yep. Um, did you, I guess, like learn anything from doing that one? I don't know if that was your first or like how that one would be similar or different to the ones you're doing now? Um, that was, that was, uh, that was really fun to do. Um, basically just like, um, you know, got my friend Katrin to shoot it, uh, and then Jenny V edited it, um, and it was the sort of thing like, I think the most important thing that I learned was just like, allow yourself to be directed 
Like, as long as you have a director who, like, knows what they're talking about and it's just like, hey, go there, do that, do that, etc. Like, you're fine. They know, they know more about what, they know more about what they're doing than what you might think they know about what they're doing. Cool. that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. How are you? <laughs> Embarrassing. Yep. I mean, luckily that was empty. It was just ice. Yeah. Cool shirt. Thank you. I'm Mary Grace. I'm Bailey. Nice to meet you. I wasn't interrupting you. I was important, wasn't Sort of, but you're, you're, you're fine. I'm just going to be asking him questions. I'm like doing an interview, but it's very informal, so. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Then I will head into that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will see you shortly. Okay, yeah, no, no, I'm gonna be in soon. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make that awkward. Oh, no, it's cool. How do you feel about porgs? I absolutely love porgs. I have several in my room. Uh, there are more to come. Um, I don't, I don't see this being an obsession that goes away anytime soon. Was it just like you saw them? in the preview or in the movie theater and it was just like instant love or it wasn't more of like a conceptualization where they represented something like I, I like I saw them in the preview and it was the the one scene of like you know when when like Chewie's like screaming and oh, yeah, then yeah. The, like little cord screams I was just like that, I, was, I was like that's it that's it I I really identify with this creature <laughs> <laughs> I you know I was like, I feel like I have been screaming like that. <laughs> and then when I actually saw the film, like, mind blown. Did you like that movie? I did. I did. I feel like it's gotten a lot of, like, hate. Oh, it's I gotten feel... so much hate, yeah, specifically. I, I feel like yeah. that's just what happens with when you have, like, something that has, like, a, a legendary franchise and then, like, something new comes out, like, all the old heads are always just gonna be like, nope, I'm immediately just, like, writing this off because it's new. But, honestly, like, it, I feel like that's, that's what causes stagnation. Which like, of the two newest ones did you like better so far? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm biased. Because of the force. Because of the force. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what is your take on sad boy culture Vaporwave, C-Punk, and so on. Do you think it has a lot to do with memes, or do you think it's uh, more of a bigger picture than just the memes and stuff that goes on online? Um, I think there's... Okay, I have a lot to say about okay, this. Okay, talk say as much um, as you want. I feel like, um, you know, like all of those things are all very much intrinsically related, and there's become this sort of like recycling of past pop culture and you know that sort of cycle is normal just just due to pop culture being pop culture um, but the way it's been filtered through the internet and you know just kind of like turned with all these like bizarre like takes on these images and everything um, and sort of like a lot of this misery is brought out from it or attached to it, yet a joke is made of it, I think is kind of 
uh, this generation beginning the the actual legitimate conversation on like mental health mm -hmm. uh, and and emotional health and doing it using satire as uh, a vehicle um, and you know it's like a lot of people are just say like oh you know like nobody actually likes things anymore without liking them ironically mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like that's kind of very much tied into this conversation about mental health because like nobody wants to just like be made fun of for liking something or ostracized and the usage of like absurdist humor to to kind of have these conversations and to enjoy things via the strange take of absurdist humor mm -hmm. I think is uh, is really important and I'm glad that it exists the way it does because um, it is furthering a conversation that is very important and very relevant uh, especially in a time where like of course like you know people are like more depressed than ever it's like we're working more hours than ever you know they're there's less less money to be made. The cost of living is skyrocketing at a rate that is in no way comparable to the wages that were being paid or anything. So all of this is so related. Yeah, and so relevant to that that conversation that you like to see push forward. Yeah. Do you think that kind of community, that online community? And that conversation is doing enough by itself, or do you think that's sort of like a first step, and it, and it needs it's like raising the consciousness, but there needs to be a more direct conversation about mental health. I think I think it's a foot in the door. Yeah. Um, I also feel like a lot of current uh, independent uh, pop music and underground like bedroom pop and whatnot, and even like a lot of like trap and new hip-hop is actually like addressing the issues of depression of suicide um, in ways that it really hasn't quite been heard before um, you know that that pop music hasn't quite approached it with this type of honesty mm -hmm. um, which I personally think is rather interesting especially juxtaposed with this sort of like sarcasm and you know just like overarching irony that occupies certain parts of of internet culture but uh i don't know there's like a lot of different things happening within within the different forms of, of pop culture of media of social media all relating to the, the conversation of, of mental and emotional health. And it certainly isn't, you know, it's not solving everything, but I wouldn't be shocked if like stupid memes and shit have like saved a couple of lives. Right. And like, that's great. Like any progress, that's good. Cool, good answer, really good answer. Uh, just a couple more. So tonight is the uh, Festival of Dysfunction, the 
the Palmer family tribute. Yeah. Right. Are you excited to play tonight? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Blaze and I have something very amusing in store. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, do you want to say anything about Twin Peaks? I know we kind of already touched on that a little bit, but how much do you love David Lynch, and what, what are you know, what is the highlight for you about Twin Peaks that you really love about it? The owls are not what they seem. Okay. You want to leave it at that? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, is your goal in life to, you know, make your living as a musician? Um, and do you have any other goals beyond your music career, such as in your career or other forms of art or just, you know, as far as the way you're living? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that that, you know, my, uh, my barely sustainable existence, <laughs> but uh, somehow I managed to pull it off. I'm able to do completely through working solely in musical fields. Um, and, you know, I, I want to, I want to get to the point where I'm able to actually push other artists forward whether that's through like, whether that's through the Ghost Cat label, um, or through productions, or working as uh, a tour booking agent, or you know a publicist or something, I feel like there are a lot of things that artists need done, and very often people who are solely in the business side don't quite see everything from the artist's point of view, um, and then I'm in the unique. Uh, position that I see a lot of things as an artist from the business side due to a lot of the work that I do so I think uh, you know that's that's a, an opportunity that I would like to capitalize on in the future cool cool what about anything that's kind of outside of music as far as art or any other you know considerations to your you know living environment or you know, travel and things like that? Um, I mean, I also definitely, you know, I want to, uh, A, like, writing is something else that I've always wanted to do. Uh, or like the comic book art you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, who knows, maybe that ship hasn't completely sailed. Um, hopefully, uh, at some point, I'll be able to get everything that I'm working towards to a certain degree that I'll be able to use it as a platform to actually try to enact some change on, on causes that actually matter. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said, you know, going back to like the conversation of like mental and emotional health. Um, and then also like, you know, I, I, I very much, uh, I've been vegetarian for, for quite a while. I think um, you know that's that's something that I would like to see more of. Mm -hmm. um, admittedly, like I also understand, like you know, there there are people who are like militant vegetarians right, and yeah. vegans who say <laughs> everyone should live this way, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. But I have seen figures that like there's a decrease in the production of meat because demand has gone down for it over the past like decade or so. Yeah. And you know, I think I think that's good because there's 
less animal cruelty, less deforestation, you know, there's, there's a lot of waste that comes from uh, what's necessary to have the facilities to produce all of this meat. Um, so if just, just taking out a little bit of that is going to be better for the environment, and I wholeheartedly support that. Uh, so how did you meet, how did you meet Blaze? Uh, we both were mutual fans of one another's work. Um, Back and, in? Uh, just like, and we hadn't even met in person. This was maybe like 20, uh, 2012, 2013-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had we, already known about each other for some time before that? We, we were uh, we were following each other on Twitter. Uh-huh. And, um, and there was a point that she asked if Dialogue would be able to do the show with Dollhouse. Um, and at that point, I didn't have a drummer. Uh, so that didn't quite work. But I ended up going to the Dollhouse show. Uh, and then later, uh, she asked if I would be able to fill in on guitar for a couple of shows. So I did, and that was great. And then I asked her if she was able to fill in on bass for a couple of dialogue shows. And then it was just like, oh, let's just let's just play in each other's bands. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, working with Blaze is great. You know, she's incredibly talented writer, um, incredibly talented composer, and uh, you know, I I'm really happy that I get to work with someone who who like just has their musicality and their shit so together uh, and uh, you know we have a lot of the same influences so sometimes we don't even really need to like fully communicate things like mm-hmm. she'll have something that's like pretty much done and then just like oh what about like this on the guitar and, and usually be like yeah I was thinking something like that so it's a, it's a really good, really good working relationship. Awesome. Um, is there anybody else that you want to shout out? Any other last minute thing you want to, that you want to say or that you want to announce or that you want to share for people listening? Uh, thank you, Based God. Okay. <laughs> shout out to Lil B, the Based God. <laughs> That's it? Yep. All right, awesome. <laughs> cool. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, for real.
Don't worry, mother. If the marriage doesn't work out, we can always get divorced. Generation X, Tales for an Accelerated Culture by Douglas Copeland. Her hair was totally 1950s Indiana Woolworth perfume clerk. You know, sweet but dumb. She'll marry her way out of the trailer park someday soon. But the dress was early 60s Aeroflot stewardess. You know, that really sad blue the Russians used before they all started wanting to buy Sony's and having Guy LaRoche design their Pultaboro caps. And such makeup! Perfect 70s Mary Quant with these little PVC floral applique earrings that looked like anti-skid bathtub stickers from a gay Hollywood tub circa 1956. She really caught the sadness. She was the hippest person there. Totally. Tracy, 27. There's my children, adults or not. I just can't kick them out of the house. It would be cruel. And besides, they're great cooks. Helen, 52. Part 1. The Sun is Your Enemy Back in the late 1970s, when I was 15 years old, I spent every penny I then had in the bank to fly across the continent in a 747 jet to Brandon, Manitoba, deep in the Canadian prairies, to witness a total eclipse of the sun. I must have made a strange sight at my young age, being pencil-thin and practically albino, quietly checking into a travelodge motel to spend the night alone, happily watching snowy network television offerings, and drinking glasses of water from glass tumblers that had been washed and rewrapped in paper sheaths so many times they looked like they had been sandpapered. But the night soon ended, and come the morning of the eclipse, I eschewed tour buses and took civic bus transportation to the edge of town. There I walked far down a dirt side road and into a farmer's field, 
some sort of cereal that was chest-high and corn-green and rustled as its blades inflicted small paper burns on my skin as I walked through them. And in that field, when the appointed hour, minute, and second of the darkness came, I lay myself down on the ground, surrounded by the tall, pithy grain stalks and the faint sound of insects, and held my breath there experiencing a mood that I have never really been able to shake completely, a mood of darkness and inevitability and fascination, a mood that surely must have been held by most young people since the dawn of time, as they have crooked their necks, stared at the heavens, and watched their sky go out. One and a half decades later, my feelings are just as ambivalent, and I sit on the front lanai of my rented bungalow in Palm Springs, California, grooming my two dogs, smelling the cinnamon nighttime pong of snapdragons and efficient whiffs of swimming pool chlorine that drift in from the courtyard while I wait for dawn. I look east over the San Andreas Fault that lies down the middle of the valley like a piece of overcooked meat. Soon enough, the sun will explode over that fault and into my day like a line of Vegas showgirls bursting on stage. My dogs are watching, too. They know that an event of import will happen. These dogs, I tell you, they are so smart, but they worry me sometimes. For instance, I'm picking this pale yellow cottage cheesy guck from their snouts, rather like cheese atop a microwaved pizza, and I have this horrible feeling, for I suspect these dogs, even though their winsome black mongrel eyes would have me believe otherwise, have been rummaging through the dumpsters out behind the cosmetic surgery center again, and their snouts are accessorized with, dare I say, yuppie liposuction fat. How they manage to break into the California State Regulation coyote-proof red plastic flesh disposal bags is beyond me. I guess the doctors are being naughty or lazy or both. This world, I tell you. From inside my little bungalow, I hear a cupboard door slam. My friend Dag, probably fetching my other friend Claire a starchy snack or a sugary treat, or even more likely, if I know them, a wee gin and tonic. They have habits. Dag is from Toronto, Canada, dual citizenship. Claire is from Los Angeles, California. I, for that matter, am from Portland, Oregon. But where you're from feels sort of irrelevant these days, since everyone has the same stores in their mini-malls, according to my younger brother, Tyler. We're the three of us, members of the Poverty Jet Set, an enormous global group, and a group I joined, as mentioned earlier, at the age of 15 when I flew to Manitoba. Anyhow, as this evening was good for neither Dag nor Claire, they had to come invade my space to absorb cocktails and chill. They needed it. Both had their reasons. For example, just after 2 a.m., Dag got off his shift at Larry's Bar, where, along with me, he is a bartender. 
Well, the two of us were walking home. He ditched me right in the middle of a conversation we were having and darted across the road, where he then scraped a boulder across the front hood and windshield of a Cutlass Supreme. This is not the first time he has impulsively vandalized like this. The car was the color of butter and bore a bumper sticker saying, We're spending our children's inheritance. A message that, I suppose, irked Dag, who was bored and cranky after eight hours of working his mick job. Low pay, low prestige, low benefits, low future. I wish I understood this destructive tendency in Dag. Otherwise, he is such a considerate guy, to the point where once he wouldn't bathe for a week when a spider spun a web in his bathtub. I don't know, Andy, he said as he slammed my screen door, doggies in tow, resembling the lapsed half of a Mormon pamphleting duo with a white shirt, askew tie, armpits hinged with sweat, 48-hour stubble, gray slacks, not pants, slacks and butting his head like a rutting elk almost immediately into the vegetable crisper of my frigid air, from which he pulled wilted romaine leaves off the dewy surface of a bottle of cheap vodka. Whether I feel more that I want to punish some aging crock for frittering away my world, or whether I'm just upset that the world has gotten too big, way beyond our capacity to tell stories about it. And so all we're stuck with are these blips and chunks and snippets on bumpers he chugs from the bottle. I feel insulted either way. Mick Job. A low pay, low prestige, low dignity, low benefit, no future job in the service sector. Frequently considered a satisfying career choice by people who have never held one. Poverty Jet Set, a group of people given to chronic traveling at the expense of long-term job stability or a permanent residence, tend to have doomed and extremely expensive phone call relationships with people named Sergei or Ilana, tend to discuss, uh, uh, Ilana, tend to discuss frequent flyer programs at parties. Okay, I know I wanted to talk about Rorschach. The Watchmen, you know, is by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons. But anyhow, well, so the Rorschach test, because I looked this up on YouTube, so it was just one of those things that kind of happened. Like, it wasn't like this thing that was like developed and like studied over time. It was just somebody had this idea, like, well, what if we just showed people these inkblots and like, start, you know, psychoanalyzing people by what their, like, immediate response is to, you know, like, what do you see in this, whatever it is. And, um, so the, actually, I think the video I watched was about Rorschach, the character, but the other person's was talking about that, so I don't want to, I don't want to repeat, like, the same stuff that I watched. Um, unless I'm commentating on it, but like earlier I was talking about Pavlov, that was more of like a joke. Um, it's like I have a really inside joke. I don't know, bare naked ladies, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, like my like one of my best friends, Shannon, is getting married, and like she's one of the only people I know who like appreciates very naked ladies. Like, so anyway, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, Russia. So it's just like, well, you should know better than like, what do you expect? Like, if you, you know, that's what they say that the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. I feel like that's cliche, but you know. It's like, okay, if you, like, push this button, you get this, like, response. And I feel like it's too Pavlovian to say it's, like, a treat or a shock, even though that's what I was, like, referencing earlier. But, you know, I feel like it's more, like, you know, stimulus. You know, it's like, okay, if you, like, push this button, you get this and I feel like it's too Pavlovian to say it's like a treat or a shock, even though that's what I was like referencing earlier. But, you know, I feel like it's more like, you know, stimulus. And so that's how, that's how I feel like, you know, Rorschach is a visual stimulus. So it's like an image that like jogs your neurons and like, you know, you look at something so in terms of like looking at art, but you observe something, you could, you know, observe the self, you could observe the universe, you could observe the nature of things, you know, um, or you could observe a particular, like, medium or, you know, piece of art in a, you know, in a form of like comic books or movies. Um, or whatever it is, you know, and so I feel like you interpret the stimulus and then, you know, it's interesting because I was listening to this Terrence McKenna talk the other night and he's talking about this, you know, thing which I've thought a lot about, um, which is like the subjectivity of, you know, communication. And he's talking about like a different level of communication which is more akin to telepathy, but he even describes it in a different way. So you'd really have to, like, see that talk to fully get the gist of, like, what Terrence McKenna is fully talking about in that talk. But just the part that I sampled and, like, I'm thinking about sampling it into the podcast and whatnot, or just, like, sampling it into a mix at some point, like, whatever, either way. Or just listening to it because it's a cool, like, concept and a cool, like, soundbite. But, you know, he's talking about how we have an internal dictionary. So our dictionaries match up for most, like, ordinary things. But in terms of, like, conveying a deep meaning or relaying some sort of information which is more complex to process, you know, and involves more, like, steps or layers, um, that's, like, not the same thing as just, like, you know, talking about something that's a casual, like, everyday frame of reference. It's like the ubiquitous, you know, uh, ether or like whatever, like, you know, that we're in that the sound waves travel through. <laughs> anyway, that's what he's, like, talking about. And, um... You know, so that's like the issue of semiotics 
and the signified and the signifier and um, you know so I feel like that's a whole complex thing to get like to fully get into but that's how I kind of interpret Warshock is that every different observer like for instance I feel like that's what he represents like whatever you bring to the table like if you have fears or hopes or if you have like um, stereotypes or, or like some other like kind of underlying neurosis or like you know filter so you're gonna see a scary man or you're gonna see somebody who saves people or you're gonna see somebody who's like a crusader or you know you're gonna see somebody who's in an existential so yeah so like because like Rorschach like Ozymandias did to me is like the symbol so, of interpretive analysis and like the you know uh, internal processing of, you know, neurologically interpreting stimulus, like you know, something that you observe, like, you know, an image. So, for instance, like the ink splatter, which is like a, a symbol in Watchmen, because, you know, you have like the, the, the sticky stuff that's on things, so it's like dripping or stained. And, uh, you know, the ink is something that like sinks into in this case fabric and you know creates a pattern and like a lot of the times the pattern is meaningless or the pattern is you know just like geometrical or um, or just like realistic or so at the beginning of summer the Warshak pattern the beginning of the nice weather so really all the way back in May so I just it's, it's knew I was starting more to work on the podcast, this, and I just had this splash of inspiration, and it's more open to it. was something I had wanted to do, so I feel like that's kind of what since I've been back in Rochester. So like for the past, like, see the thing summers. is, that I haven't really tied it into my podcast. Interesting, you know, like my thoughts. That's this is all. kind of um, personal, but I guess it's all part of the same story. Um, there was a girl that I was hanging out with last summer. She's somebody like I went to school with and stuff. And it turns out she went to, uh, I'm not going to say the name, she went to the day camp that I'm talking about. And that was funny because I had had like dreams about being there and going to the Fairport Library and like finding different things out in that area. Um, there's, you know, especially because I was working at Eastview. So, bef even before that is when I actually first was going there. But, yeah, I guess working at Eastview didn't have anything to do with it. It had more to do with this girl I was seeing. And so, we joked about it, but I had had this thought, too, of just, like, going there at night and how that would be cool or something. Because, you know, I guess, like, when you're younger and, you know, it's, like, let's say, like, you've just been in that school or you've just been in that like elementary school a few years before that so you don't feel weird like in the playground or something like when I lived on Long Island or even before I lived there that's what we used to do a lot like in Jericho or whatever you know we were like wouldn't it be fun to go there at night and then pretty much like this girl and I like we texted a lot and like we had a date and stuff but then I don't know she kind of vanished on me <laughs> and I don't even mean like she just ghosted me, which she did, but then, like, I feel like she also moved to Florida, 
a little bit later. So, anyhow, there's no hard feelings or anything. It's just this girl I've like known forever. So, I remember like going over to her house to play when we were in like sixth grade. So, I remember like listening to Britney Spears together and stuff like that. All this time has gone by, and I'm like, I kept thinking about going there, but I was like, nah, I'm not just gonna like go onto their private property and like who am I going to go with, like, by myself, like, you know, and once, like, Lisi said it, I was like, you know, I had pictured it, like, just going by myself, but that's why I didn't, like, think it was a serious thought, and so then she said it, and I was like, you know, just more reality checked that, like, oh, yeah, that's probably not that good of an idea, really, um, you know, but then what happened is, so I was starting the podcast, and, you know, my idea always was to have, or not always, but my idea, you know, starting That's So Meta was to do a vlog, and at first it was just kind of going to be, like, That's So Meta, and then That's So Meta, like, not even, actually, the, the videos were just going to be, like, independent titles, like, you know just whatever they were, a se like, a series, but not, like, collectively called anything until I came up with Infinity Report. But back then, I didn't have that name. But anyhow, this was just a you know, few months ago, and Infinity Report was, like, closer to the time that Infinity War actually came out when I actually thought of that name. So, um... So I was just like, but I'm going to do a vlog, and I'd worked it out, like, where I talked to Blaze about, you know, doing a music video even though it's not done yet, but it, it will get done fairly soon. And, um, you know, so that was all part of the plans and all that. So, anyhow, so long story, not so short, I was just, like, doing some different things, and I was, you know, I think it was actually coming from work, and then I might have gone to, like, Penfield or Fairport or something, and then I was like, you know what, I was thinking about it, and I'm just going like, to go over there and ask them if I can do like a little video. So the interesting part about that is the conversation we had about um, privacy. So it's kind of interesting, like the story of it, just because at first I was, at first I was told no, but then after we talked a little bit more, about, like, you know, why he didn't want to say yes to it, and then that I understood all of his concerns, and we had very much, you know, the same philosophy on it. Like, for instance, I'm not going to say the name of the camp because, you know, I respect his privacy, and, like, I'm grateful that he let me do the little video thing, and so, you know, I'm finding that it actually is relevant for the podcast. But that's sort of like a separate thing. It's it's almost like, you know, there was the act of me going there and I created a little piece the day I was there. And then the story that I'm going to tell right now is very similar to like what I said that day. Um, but anyway, it started with me talking with the owner and... You know, so I was telling him, like, that's so meta. It's really for my friends, you know. So 
it's really for my friends and like family and people who like want to check in on me and see what my story is like what you know what I'm out there doing and you know what also people who are just getting to know me like where I came from and you know what uh, growing up was like and in Rochester and other you know other stories that come into the picture as far as like my travels and so on anyhow um, okay so back to the story I was telling which is the end of story time prequel um, okay so what ended up happening is I talked to the owner and you know he said you know sure you could you could film right now or you know whatever you want to do and I was like well actually I didn't really come prepared <laughs> today I just you know I just kind of on a whim came down here and you happened to be here which was good because I wanted to you know ask your permission and tell you like what my idea was and stuff and so anyway he gave me like a choice to like come back another day and I was like yeah what about Friday you know, I just walked up and I kind of, I realized, like, nobody's here, but this is the time he told me I could be here, so, you know, I feel good about this. Um, it's a very pretty place. First you, first of all, you come into a parking lot, and so it's kind of like going to a park or something, you know. You might go to a parking lot first, and then you walk to, you know, a waterfall or a gorge or something like that. And so you come in the parking lot and you walk across this bridge, um, you know, the waterfalls underneath the bridge. And of course I remember this place like the back of my hand anyhow, but just like having recently been there. Um, everything was pretty much like how I remembered it. Um, so anyway, I went all over the place. I pointed out every, like, every place I walked to, I talked about some memory. So, even, let's say, like, when you first walk in, there used to be a t-ball thing there. So that's tether, tether ball. I mean. so that's, like, one thing that's not the same. There used to be tether ball. So I was like, I remember playing tether ball, and, you know, whatever else I said about that, which was, which is probably just that I remember playing tether ball. Um, but then there's... A place that's like a stage and it's it's kind of like having an assembly in the morning and I remember different things about that like I remember just the assembly and they were, I remember you know how it was like they had a lot of spirit first of all they always had a theme and they had you know it was campy and they had a lot of spirit so like they would you know do pranks on each other and like you know they would like prank your counselor in front of you and like everybody would laugh about it and whatever and when people would do goofy stuff like that sometimes you know but then I remember like when I was like probably the last year I went there or something um I remember like being up above where all the benches were so I think like if you were a certain age you had to sit on the benches but maybe like if you were a certain age you didn't have to come to the assembly or the whole thing or something or you could like anyway maybe it was after the assembly but I just remember being up at the top um and then I remember like different little random bits of conversation with different kids there like one was 
I had this like drawing and it was like, you know, some kind of like half bird, half man. You know, he's wearing pants, but he wasn't wearing a shirt. He might have had like an eye on his chest or something like that. And this kid was like, you drew a guy without a shirt, so you're gay. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I just remember like silly stuff like that. And then another thing was that like, oh, I, would you like better showers or baths? And baths are so gross because you're lying in your own filth. And I'm like, not necessarily. You could take a bath just to relax. Like you could shower that day already somewhere else and be clean and then just want to take a bath because it's relaxing. I don't even think I articulated that. It's just like, whatever, that's your opinion. I like baths. <laughs> yeah. But, um... Okay, so there was a girl there, and I liked her. She was my first girlfriend, technically. She was my, well, I guess not technically my first girlfriend, but she was my first kiss um, that I remember anyway. But yeah, I think she was my first kiss. That's how I always remember it. And um, she, first of all, so she was a twin. So I remember another weird thing about this was that, like, so Talia and I were dating, and somebody said something like, oh, but Vanessa's the blonde one without glasses, and I don't know, she's prettier or something. Are you sure you don't like her? I was like, no, I definitely like, like how are you going to tell me who I like? I definitely like Talia, that's what I said, right? Like, do I have a speech problem or something? Like, you know? Like, that's just weird to bring up. Like, yeah, I know they're twins, so I obviously know who Vanessa is. You know, you don't have to, like, point her out to me. Like, I know her, I've seen her too, but I like Talia. Anyhow, so Talia and I had this, like, kind of weird relationship after that because... Well, first of all, we had our first kiss, so this is a really cute story because... <sighs> okay, so... At this day camp, there's all these different little structures, like little castles and boats and things like that, but they're playgrounds. So this one day, it was raining, and they had, like, different, you know, procedures for rain sometimes, which just kind of depended on, you know, how many counselors they had and what else was already going on. So if they were already doing an indoor activity, then you probably, if they say they were doing, like, multiple indoor activities, at the same time as like some of the outdoor activities then everybody who was outside had the option to go to like whichever one was still going on maybe they'd still do some of them and they'd like combine some of them or something just so everybody was kind of in one place but usually you could choose to go to like a couple different activities so for whatever reason at this time there wasn't a lot of campers there I don't know but like there must not have been because they had, like, everybody go into this one building and watch a movie. And they were like, everybody come inside. And we happened to be... It must have been a situation where there was a group of kids, mostly younger, that were playing on the, on the whole playground around us, which is where, like I said, the tetherball used to be and stuff. So they were just playing outside, pretty much. But we were, like on the castle playground. And so when it started raining, we were like, oh, I feel something. And we were on top and we were like, I feel rain. And the other person was like, no, it's not raining. 
and then they were like, oh yeah, I feel it too. So then we all went inside because we were like, well, we don't want to get wet, so it's just sitting here. It's probably not going to rain that much. But then it just kept raining, and so that's when like everybody started coming inside. But we were already in the shelter, so we were like, well, if we go now, they might think we were trying to like not come. So they'll be like, where were you? What counselor were you with? So let's just stay here, you know. And whatever counselor was with like the younger kids, they pretty much hadn't even noticed that we were like with them because they were watching all these young kids that were playing outside and we were like fifth graders and we were just pretty much on the castle playground but nobody was like right by us. So anyhow, that's how Talia and I ended up in this castle in the rain and there was like some other kids in there and they're like, well, Bailey and Talia are dating so they have no excuse not to kiss. Like, <laughs> all the, like nobody's watching. We know nobody's going to come out here now because they think everybody's in there. And so, like, you have no excuse because that's, like, your girlfriend. You have to kiss her. So I was like, well, I mean, you're kind of right. Like, <laughs> you're not wrong. It's like, I don't necessarily want to kiss her in front of, all, like, everybody and feel like it's weird because you're telling me to do it and I, obviously I'm, I'm not like too stupid to kiss my own girlfriend which we just happen to be here and everybody's here like you know so I was like okay sure like I'm not afraid to kiss her so you know that was our first and probably only kiss but anyway later <laughs> so what happened is so I knew I wasn't gonna like see her again because we went to different schools. But I also knew what temple she belonged to. And I didn't belong to temple because I was part of a more like Havira, if you know what that is, which is, it's like a, technically what, what I belonged to wasn't a Havira, but it's so almost the same thing. Um, it's more just like a group of families that do holidays together and like they actually teach each other's children, or that was like the case in the group that I belonged to. It was like, instead of going to Sunday school, you just went to your friend's parents' house, and they had like a lesson plan that like all the parents kind of worked on together. Or mainly like they were responsible for it, but they kind of like cooperated and like helped each other. So anyhow, that was a really beautiful thing to be a part of. Like one of my best friends, that's not where I know her from, but we were both in that together. Um, I knew a couple other people I met from there, like Bonnie and Galen and uh, Jonathan and later Laura. So, anyhow, so I ended up going to Temple with this girl, is what happened because pretty much I wanted to go to a temple with a large congregation for my bar mitzvah, and so I could also like go to more like other kids' bar mitzvahs. It wasn't just because I wanted to go to the parties and stuff, but, I mean, it might have just been because I really liked bar mitzvahs because I'd gone to a lot of my cousin's ones and stuff, so. Anyhow, but it probably had most to do with Talia. And it's just, like, a pretty place, and I was like, you know, this feels, like, nice, and I'm not going to necessarily really start to talk about it on the podcast, even though I could definitely see it coming up with Nate Baldo, but, um, 
that's another one of my friends from that temple. And I actually, so actually going to that temple was like, I'm, you know, I went through youth group and like, I made a lot of friends there and Rachel and I both went there. So I do have a lot of like good memories from belonging there, but just Nate has, you know, his own opinion about Sinai and I don't really belong there anymore. Like I go there sometimes with my mom, but I just... I also have, well, sort of have a more educated worldview about Palestine since since I was indoctrinated in not in Judaism but in like very pro-Israel mindsets that to me now like seem almost like propaganda because, you know, I'm not biased either way, but, you know, I just, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is the way the story was presented to me in Hebrew school and things that were, like, you know, funded by the Federation, and, like, here's what I learned in college, and so, like, not the all of it was negative, but just certain, like, is, like, on the topic of Israel and, like, current affairs and history, you know, recent history, I feel like it was pretty biased. So that's where Nate and I agree, you know, and then he's just even more involved in um, Palestinian outreach and, like, Jewish Voice for Peace is his organization, so, like, you know, that's why he's more cynical about things like the, you know, the youth group, like, not youth group that I went to as a kid, but, like, you know, these youth groups that we have in Rochester, some of our other friends are in them, and <laughs> it's kind of funny when we start talking about stuff like that, because, like, then, on the other hand, like, he's been at protests, and then some of the same people who are in the Jewish community have been, like, arguing with him and being, like, vicious, and it's, like, we try to talk about, you know, argumentation theory and, like, how to, you know, the nuances of that, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's still experienced those things, and so he's, of course, personally not gonna, like, really be interested in doing anything with Sinai or anything like that. But anyhow, what what happened is when I actually went to temple with her, Talia started being really mean to me, Unex inexplicably. Well, first of all, I remember that it wasn't like the entire time. So it might not have been like I first got there or even like the whole time that we were in Sunday school together. But there was like one year or one like solid portion of the year like I don't know if like she was going through puberty or something but like she hated me and she would like shoot spitballs at me and stuff and you know I thought she was like at first I thought she was like being mean to me because when you're kids people do that stuff to get attention and I knew obviously from before we liked each other so I thought maybe she was just being weird but she just continued to pick on me for, like, a really long time. And then I think, like, yeah, eventually we were, like, oh, so, like, forget all that. But, like, because I do remember, too, like, being friends with her there. And 
for instance, rest in peace, there's this kid, Adam DeVore. And so, like, she might have still been somewhat mean to me sometimes, but I do remember, like, going out with her and Adam and, like, walking around on the path and, you know, just talking about our, you know, personal lives in, in middle school. <laughs> but anyway, that's the long story. So the other story is... There was this one time, and I remember where we were and stuff, so when I did the video, I, like, walked over there. And so where it is is, like, the ropes course, archery, that whole area. Um, it's more for, like, the older kids, because obviously those activities are, you know, more for older kids. But there's, like, this area over there that's got this big, like, I don't know, like, some kind of, like old agricultural tower type structure. I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with the camp, although it might be some like older part of the ropes course or something like that. But it seems to be a pretty old building. And then there's just kind of like a patch of grass and the water runs around it and there's like logs. There's like a log that goes across the water. So Talia and I were just sitting over there, I guess, and we were talking about movies. So you know, pretty much, like, she was my friend, so she was who I hung out with, so whoever else we were friends with or whatever else we did, like, I played magic, and, you know, so I did different things where, like, you know, I talked to people or played games with them, but as far as, like, actually, you know, having a friend that was really, like, my friend, not just because, like, oh, you're my friend this year at camp, but she was, like, my friend over, like, many years at camp. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess we just, like, didn't have anybody else to hang out with, or, and, or, you know, we did date, so this might not have been, like, actually when we were dating, but, you know, we were pretty close friends, so we were, like, it was just me and her, and we walked over to this area, or, on the other hand, it could have been something like we both signed up for archery or whatever, but then we were like, neither of us actually feel like doing archery or whatever, so, like, the counselor was like, you're fine, you can just, like, walk over there, you know, whatever it was, like, her and I just ended up in this, in this part with, like, nobody else. Like, we were near other people, but we were kind of on an island, if you will. And, um... Yeah, so we were like, what are we going to talk about? You know, let's not talk about the same thing. She was like, talk to me about something, like, different than, like, just what, you know, what did you do at camp today? Or, like, you know. So I was like, okay, so what, uh, you know, what movies did you like this past year, like, that came out? She was like, oh, um, I really like Eyes Wide Shut. I was like, oh, did you see... What Lies Beneath? Pretty sure this is how the conversation went. And she was like, yeah, I actually did. And I didn't like it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sn shit. Or I probably said snap, you know, or whatever. Because it was the 90s. And I was like, oh, well, are you sure? Because it looked good to me and I really wanted to see it. And she was like, no, I mean, 
I can see how it looked good from the previews, but I watched it and it wasn't actually anything that interesting. Like the story wasn't interesting. But she was like, you should really watch Eyes Wide Shut because it's a really good movie. And I was like, oh, well, you have seen both. So you, you know, know what you're talking about. I just saw a preview for one of them and I barely know what the other one is. Um, so I was like, I, I'll believe you. And I didn't end up watching Eyes Wide Shut for like a long time after that. But, you know, but I have seen it now. Um, I didn't <laughs> watch What Lies Beneath until, like, uh, maybe like a year or two ago. But that's because I got into Michelle Pfeiffer through White Oil and And, um, yeah, so Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I watched that maybe in college. Um, I've watched videos about it recently, so that's so meta. The one video I was watching was talking about how Eyes Wide Shut is a game. And you like start playing this game from the perspective of Tom Cruise's character. You know, so it was kind of talking about the cinematic like way that the camera, you know, has you know, Tom Cruise and how a lot of the dialogue is like weird because it's like fast but it's soft so you know again I don't want to like repeat the exact same things that somebody else said but that's what I was watching about it um it's clearly and and you know I haven't watched it recently so I've just watched the video about it but it's clearly a lot about sex or sexuality and the way that the other person presented it, they were definitely saying, like, yeah, you know, it's about sex because it, it deals with, it deals with, like, erotic situations and, like, desire and all these different situations, like affairs and, like, just Tom Cruise and, like, what you see as you're playing this game or, you know, as you're watching a movie. Like many different scenes of sex where like Tom is in the foreground and that's in the background or you know it's just happening um, spontaneously and you know so it's just like a night where like all this sex is happening and where as he's going from place to place all these sexual or sensual things keep cropping up as the story as the plot moves forward so anyhow, I guess, you know, I could do a little analysis of Eyes Wide Shut, but it's, it's kind of hard to do without actually watching it, because um, it doesn't really feel like you've watched the movie, it's just like, I know I watched the YouTube video about Eyes Wide Shut, but again, I don't want to like say the same exact things that they said, and, you know... I watched, yes, I watched that, but it's not like, oh, I sat down and watched the movie Eyes Wide Shut for a couple hours and just thought about that. Um, anyhow, so I'm not necessarily going to fully analyze it because it's only in the prequel, and, you know, pretty much I could just give some information about it, like, this is Eyes Wide Shut, 
It's by Stanley Kubrick. It came out in this year, so yes, this is, you know, uh, contextualizing the conversation I had with Talia. Like, yes, we were this old. We were. It was this year that the movie came out. We were talking about movies that had come out like the year before, you know. So, um, and I could like briefly like mention the themes and how they're relevant. So, so clearly, like Talia and I were having a an intimate relationship of sorts, even though we were very young. But you know, we did kiss, um, and we did date. So, you know, however real it was, that's what it was, but, you know, it was us dating and showing affection for each other, so this is, you know, meta in our conversation because, you know, obviously Eyes Wide Shut deals with these mature topics of, like, sexuality and sort of, you know, hyper adulthood where these things that were like further off in our you know um lives were like such a big um motivating force in that film or driving force in that storytelling and uh you know so it wasn't necessarily something that she consciously brought up to bring to my attention, but on the other hand, I can't discredit her and say she's not that smart and she doesn't know what she's doing, so... You know, it's just something to think about, but... She's in Denver, <laughs> I think. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's in Denver. I've talked to her, um, so we're cool now. Like, We haven't actually hung out, but like, you know, I didn't know if she was going to be like, weird about it since she did not like me for that period of time, but, you know, that was, like, seventh grade and we got over it, or sixth grade, even, I don't know, seventh grade, so, <clears throat> it was probably only, like, a month or something, it just seems, like, longer to me, but anyhow, um, yeah, I remember I was here, and I was going to go to Club Beta, which I've been to one time before. It's, like, in Lodo or something, and it's, like, a little techno club. Um, it's pretty nice in there, actually, and they have, like, an upstairs and downstairs, and, you know, I saw Emma Hewitt there. So, there was another show. I think Emma Hewitt was coming back, actually. And, uh, cause, like, she had a new song out with, um, I'm not sure if it was Dash Berlin or somebody, um, yeah, I think it's, like, Cosmic Gate, I don't know, that's, let me look it up. For once in this time, I'm going to actually look something up, cause, like, what was the other thing I was talking about, like, comic books or something? <laughs> um... I don't even know what, about uh, Ghost World? I was going to look something up or something. Or I was like, I could actually just check that fact or whatever, but I never did. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I think it could have been... Yeah. No, yeah, it was Cosmic Gate. So... You know, I, 
I don't know how I got her number. Well, like, I think I messaged her on Facebook, and, you know, they've changed the privacy settings on Facebook, so, like, I think it used to be that you could just message somebody, and then they came up with that, like, other folder. So, I think that's how, like, I got her number, and then we were talking about going to that show, and then I was like, I'll let you know if you want to go, because... And, you know, I have to, like, do something in the morning, so I don't know, like, how late I want to stay out, and I'm not really sure why, but I never went, and I think I just got too tired, like, you know, I think I smoked and, like, just, you know, didn't feel like going out for, like, a whole night, and, you know, just wanted to, like, not, not do anything, so, you know, so we were just like keeping in touch about that and then we were kind of both like, yeah, it's, it's one of those nights, <laughs> you know. So, anyhow, I don't really have anything to say about What Lies Beneath. It's not a terrible movie, but I kind of see how she thought, you know, Eyes Wide Shut has more substance than that. Um, first of all, I don't really like What Lies Beneath because I feel it's a bit sexist and weird and, you know, has kind of that, like, weird, like, patriarchal trope going on. It's, you know, it has a female star, but it's kind of hard to say that Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, the protagonist. And at the same time, Harrison Ford is just, like, not, like, you don't even want him to be in that role. You're like, no, Harrison Ford's, like, always the good guy, like Indiana Jones. And he's just this guy that you just deeply abhor. Because <laughs> he, like, kills his wife, I guess, but I don't really know. Every time I watch that movie, I'm just like, what is going on? If I really pay attention from the beginning to the end, I understand why Michelle Pfeiffer is whatever she is in that movie. But, like, the special effects were okay, but, like, it doesn't matter because the story kind of sucked and it kind of made me mad. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's what I have to say about that. Um, yeah, as far as Eyes Wide Shut, like, I don't know, but, like, that guy who reviewed it gave it a lot of, like, in-depth cinematic analysis, and I was more just kind of interested in overall messages and stuff like that. Um, okay, so anyway, the other end-of-storytelling prequel is American Beauty. Here's what I have to say about American Beauty. The thing that stood out to me about American Beauty is that I thought it imparted some factual knowledge, some practical worldview. And this message is that the person in the movie who's the most homophobic on screen is the closeted fag. <laughs> you know, so... I wrote it out in a more uh, poetic way, but I said something like, the person with the most 
irate homophobia is the person who has a latent anxiety of their own view of homoeroticism or something like that. It sounded way wordier than what I just said, but that's more like the colloquial. And, oh yeah, and I don't even, like, think that I have to belabor that point because it's meta. It's not really that I'm telling you on this show that you need to know, you know, the most homophobic person actually has a, a latent anxiety of homoeroticism, but it's more that I thought... What was remarkable to me about that movie was that I felt like it taught me something about life. Not in this like really abstract way, but more about the way things were or are that we don't talk about, but that are true, that are truths, but are, that are not the truths that are like um, paraded by the media and like storytelling machines and uh, institutions and functions thereof. So anyhow, the other area, although, you know, you know, it could be discussed about the male gaze and, um, the, you know, the images of masculinity and, you know, desire that are happening and, like, this kind of self-reflection and all that stuff, like, you know, it could be explored in more depth, but since it's only part of the prequel, it's more just like a conversation starter as opposed to like a whole conversation about that subject although like the gays and especially like the pop culture gays but the also the meta gays that they are referring to from real life is you know and art and in terms of art that's like what i was talking about with rorschach so that will be a I might talk about American Beauty in the actual end of storytelling um, piece. In fact, that's pretty likely. Although it hasn't fully been planned, it could it could be uh, a focal point for that um, actual uh, message. But anyhow, um, the other thing that I um, picked up from it or that actually I was considering myself and then realized that the film does a commentary on this is the sort of um, privacy and the intersection of privacy and art and you know, sort of philosophy and, and all that um, and, and, you know, social sort of structures and social clauses and social constructions. And, um, you know, so, for instance, this guy's, like, making his found footage. And his, like, his most um, poignant uh, footage for him is of the plastic bag floating blowing in the wind, sort of. It's like his quintessential American metaphor, American beauty. That's what, to him, is beautiful in America. This, you know, stray plastic bag that's just refuse, but it's doing something beautiful in the wind. 
And it's like a metaphor for beauty that you know, occurs in other ways throughout the movie, of course. And through the, you know, through the filmmaking experience and the film watching experience. And so anyway, uh, however, inadvertently, he, you know, first of all, he kind of gets those weird looks of, like, he's a psycho and a stalker and stupid shit like that. But then, like, the girl who likes him, like, she sees past that and, you know, she sees him as an artist. But then, inadvertently, he has this, like... Uh, view into another's life and I think it's that he pretty much is filming the object of his lust or you know his sort of obsession or just interest because he's just like interested in all these things around him and he inadvertently you know gets some compromising you know, leverage in his video. And again, I haven't watched this movie in a long time, so this is me, like, saying what I think about it, having just thought about it recently. But anyhow, um, for me, it just brings up the bigger, like, discussion of art and privacy. And for instance, um, you know, like, say for instance, like, candid photography. So, a photographer who's well-known and well-respected, or just any photographer who's an artist, first of all, different, different people are going to, like, have different approaches to things, but certain people will see something as an artist in a way before they see it as, like, a person who has you know, social obligations and is being, like, judged and criticized and uh, surveilled by their peers or this imaginary self-surveilling that, like, the guy talks about um, on Introduction to Systems Thinking. So, anyway, so that's, like, a social construct. So, the social construct is a construction, it's almost a fabrication, except that we feed, we feed its validity by, you know, saying it's, you know, it's necessary to be civilized and, you know, unless you're an anarchist or some other type of free thinker or philosopher. But you could deconstruct, like, how certain things are conditioned or acculturated and so on. And so, like, you know, the idea that, like, you have to ask for somebody's permission for photographing them is palatable to, like, a lot of people because they might not want to have their picture taken without permission. But it also depends on the circumstance. Like, if, say, if you just happen to be in someone's shot because they're taking a picture of a famous landmark, like, you can't really take offense to that socially. You know, I mean, you can, but it's going to be different than being like, oh, you're being weird, why are you taking pictures of me? I didn't say you could, you know. So, anyhow, it brings up further discussions of, like, say, like, cultural appropriation. Like, what about people who, 
like are photographing like cultures that um, are they're not a member of but like them exploiting the actual people who may be uh, disenfranchised and then like exploiting them for profit and not even caring about those people and that's like what it discusses in the Gully Queens documentary or actually I don't even think that was that was at the cage free um, exhibit though in the talk with Eve and uh, Zora and some other friends I think Eve brought it up so <laughs> that's pretty much what I was referring to um, as an example um, this was a Jamaican what was a British or some like foreign photographer who went to Jamaica and I believe it was the Gully Queens they were referring to a different photographer but in reference to how it's similar to something that happened in Jamaica anyhow the same idea they pretty much photographed these people and then made it into like an art exhibit that they made money off of and didn't really do anything to help do anything pretty much in that discussion in that dialogue besides turn it into their own profit to to remind me of the specific example of who that was there. It's more philosophical, <laughs> honestly. It's more of a, a open question. Like, what do you think? Do you uh, have you taken a picture with somebody in it, or a picture of with the subject that was a stranger that didn't know you were taking a picture of them, and you're just being an artist? Have you ever done that? Like, what do you think about that? Have you participated in the in the culture of you know? consuming this media and viewing it and I'm sure we all have in some way like with recorded cell phone videos if things are happening now although that's a bit different because it's not precisely art or it's not done sort of with that intention but you know and then the sort of meta element of that which of course this is the end of storytelling prequel it mentions privacy so privacy and art and boundaries and, you know, are we evolving with those and stuff and like, you know, so if there's, if there's people and they're involved in something, you know, that is getting coverage, like the press is going to take pictures of them, you know, so it's like certain places it's like performative, you know, and then there's also the idea of like, well, Mainly, you would say, like, oh, that's intrusive, or even, like, it could be rapey or weird, depending on, like, if, oh, if somebody's taking, like, upskirt pictures or something, that's, like, a weird thing that gets on the news. I saw it on the news, like, that they caught this pervert that was, like, sneaking in people's windows. Like, that's a bit different. This guy in American Beauty, like, he... He wasn't really a stalker, like, he was just filming everything, but he was just going about his own business, and he brought his camera with him, and it's like, oh, this is pretty, I must get an image of it to remember it and watch it again, and so on. So, again, it's, like, very meta about filmmaking and stuff, too. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it extends to different, you know, questions about privacy and art and you know, what we can say about it, or, you know, let's say, like, how we can um, wrap our heads around those questions, because, like, it's not really a, 
oh, it's right or wrong, and it's kind of the thing where I say, like, you could draw a line in the sand, but, I don't know, in an abstract way or existentially or ultimately, there's not really a right or wrong because it's cultural. So if, like, everybody was taking pictures all the time and that was our culture, which it kind of is, and everybody was comfortable with just having their picture taken because they happened to be standing there looking beautiful or looking interesting or a part of a scene where they interacted with the with the background in the artistic shot, you know, that would be our culture. But, you know, that's why it's a it's not uh, like a question of absolute values or something like that it's more like how does this inform us about your values like do you really value privacy do you really value like respecting other people's privacy and their boundaries and especially like you know in terms of like the explicit things and like sexual or sensual like intimate things like yeah you could be um free to do what you want if you're going to be a model or a subject or create your own art and get people's permission but you know of course that figures into the whole conversation about like okay well we're we talking about this abstract sense of privacy or do we like recognize that there are um, areas that people feel especially protective over like their kids you know their property their bodies you know so me, when I'm clothed, and, like, say if I'm at a scene, like, a bar, like, we're all dancing or something, and, like, there's a guy who takes pictures at the club, like, okay, like, we're just there having fun, like, I'm just, like, another person, you know, dancing, but, you know, it's just interesting, and also because, of course, it's been the subject of, like, art a whole bunch of times, I'm sure, where there's this, like, creepy photographer guy, but then, like, the girl falls in love with him anyway, or... You know, maybe not in one hour photo. That wasn't what happened. <laughs> that wasn't a romance. You know, I'm saying like that's like a toxic trope that I'm referring to. But um, I don't know. Again, it's like uh, subjective, sort of what what you think is creepy or like what is romanticized but is still problematic. So anyway, that's the end of story time. Prequel. So. In the actual first act, I guess you could call it, or first part of End of Storytime, I'm going to kind of exposit that this does not mean that, that telling stories no longer has a use. It's just more talking about the idea of what happens sort of you know, when a story ends, but we know that, like I said, I'm not really discussing lack of necessity for there to be storytelling, but I'm talking about more within the meta-composition of, of a narrative arc and the narrative um, patchwork of our lives. When one particular story has an ending because stories do have endings that's the rule of course there are exceptions to the rule but as a rule a narrative has a built-in ending um so 
granted that, you know, assuming that that is, or that's the assumption, so since that's what uh, we are talking about, what happens in our lives when our favorite stories, like, I, I don't want them to end, you know? I try to savor and keep re-watching the same episode or keep re-watching the same season or like not fully watching the end of something or reading the end of like the last chapter the last page you know just to make it last longer and that's how it was like for a long time and anyhow first of all these are cultural pieces so they start they leave room for discussion and also we can um, analyze the themes and understand the deeper meanings and then have our own interpretation based on our own morals and real life experiences and then we can, you know, not necessarily model ourselves after certain characters or certain uh, events that happen in a fictional setting, but the more meta, big picture that we get out of it, we can apply to our lives and our understanding of ourselves and our relationships and our peers. And uh, I think that's good enough for now. Another bit I was going to mention on the end of storytelling is I mentioned um, Eyes Wide Shut in relation to Talia and I mentioned what lies beneath but in relation to um, Talia and Camp um, and other stuff that other um, characters that in stories that I was into was Sabrina the Teenage Witch because I remember, you know, those scholastic book fairs. I remember getting this little paper book, like a paperback but even thinner, that was like a guide to Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Melissa Joan Hart. And um, I brought that with me to camp because I had gotten it at a scholastic book fair that was, I don't know, it was over the summer or near the end of the school year. And uh, so Sabrina the Teenage Witch was something else I was into at the time. And Sabrina the Teenage Witch is very meta. She says so herself. Okay, so finally the very last thing I have to do. Because that's so meta. <laughs> this is the show, that's not the show. And this is where it all started. I'm back at the park. I'm not going to tell you which park, but you've probably been here with me before if you're one of my friends. Or we've been somewhere together that's just like this, and had a moment like this. I was just, you know, reading the tarot spread, thinking about my path, feeling the breeze. It's August. That's so meta-awakening, but you know, it's the first episode, so it's taken 
a while to get the ball rolling, you know, I had to invest in some software, I had to, you know, work some extra shifts that I wasn't aware of or I wasn't planning on before, and I you know, was working on the other episodes, so finally I'm done with Awakening, the podcast, and I'm so excited to have all you friends here and ready with me to go on this journey to have this experience. So this is what uh, they call the call to action. And I'm just going to tell you a couple things. Like, of course, like and subscribe, follow for more news, um, and share with your friends. Also, uh, please check out the guests because, you know, all my guests usually have some kind of outlet or... In the future, some of them might just be more like experts in their field, but everyone that you're going to hear in the first few episodes, you can support them, you can, you know, also follow them on social media. So uh, go follow Dollhouse Music and Mevious, and those were the guests for the first um, episode. And um, if you like their music, you can share it, buy it, support it, uh, come out to shows and all that. Uh, The wind agrees. So, yeah. um, So, what's cooking is also this section call what's cooking it means like what's coming up next next time on the show we're gonna hear from comic book illustrator Caitlin Yarsky who illustrates for the book Coyotes you can find that at comics etc and other local comic book shops Um, and you can also get it through image comics and book retailers and um, and your local comic book shop in your city, wherever you are, you can um, see if they have it and tell them to order it for uh, for the future. Uh, we're also going to be hearing from Olivia Lusk of Lydia Juice Customs, and that's going to be a very uh, exciting segment for you listeners, um, and possibly uh, another spot with my friend Hannah Doreen Brown in the next episode or in another upcoming episode, and I also think we might get a special treat from Saint Hubert, and we'll just have to see how that develops. Um, It might be in the next episode, or it might be... Something with my friend Maddie, who's in that band, in a future episode. So stay tuned for the next episode, Alchemy. It will actually be out very soon, because this one took so long to produce. And it will be out in less than a week. So stay tuned for that. And thank you for listening. Like I said, like, share, subscribe. 
follow us. We'll follow you back. Um, it's that's so meta. I'm your host, Reactance, and thank you for listening. Uh, next time on that's so meta, we're going to be hearing from comic book illustrator Caitlin Yarsky of Coyotes, available from Image Comics. You can get it from Image Comics website. Amazon and Barnes and Noble and your local comic book shop um, in certain areas for sure <clears throat> but just check your local comic book shop and tell them to order it um, we're going to be talking about music and art and literature and it's going to be a very interesting conversation so you should tune in for that um, another person who will hopefully be on the next episode is someone who helped inspire and motivate this show and supported me in my idea of doing a podcast, and that's Alice Alice. What's next on that so meta, the section for what's cooking, but also on the, on the next episode of that so meta, one thing, there are going to be a lot of surprises on the next episode. Um, where things will be a little bit different that you'll that you'll get to hear, but uh, one thing that um, is planned for the next episode is my friend Hannah Doreen Brown, who's an artist and works and lives in Denver area, is uh, going to tell you a little bit about herself and um, almost like a almost like a business card on this podcast like she's handing you a business card and telling you what she what she does and uh you know you can look at her website and her tumblr and um hear a little bit about about what she does and what she's trained in and what uh what projects she's working on oh and i'd also like to add a couple shout outs check out my other friend's podcast order fire it's by my longtime friend zach dunham and his new friend from New York City, and they work together in the food industry, and they pretty much crack jokes and talk philosophical bits and, you know, go off on wild tangents, kind of like I do, but with two people, and the two people who work in the food industry. Check it out, orderfire.net, that's where you can find that one. And another podcast I'd like to recommend, I'd like to suggest My Minute with Andre, which is the podcast by Woody Battaglia. Um, who works at Wayo, and um, I've just become Facebook friends with him. I heard of him because my friends, Sound You Bear, were going on his show. But I realized, like, we have a lot of mutual friends, so um, I've listened to that podcast. It's really entertaining. I'd really like you to check it out. So that one is called My Minute with Andre. All right, just a couple more things I want you to do. Um... So, first of all, you know, check us out online. Um, if you don't know how to find me, you know, you can find me at my Facebook or my Instagram, probably, if you're already friends with me. But for our new listeners of the podcast and your audiences, wherever you are, um, I do have some other ways you can visit us. Go to land send 
.tumblr.com. So L-A-N-D-S-E-N-D.tumblr.com. That is the official, unofficial blog of the podcast. And that is where I'm going to post the links and the media for Tumblr that represents the different subjects that I talk about on the podcast. So the links and the descriptions, the images, and everything that has to do with the subjects that I've covered on each episode. Um, And also I can share other people's, you know, music and stuff from the guests that I have, and I can, those can also go on land send. Um, All right, and also there is, I have another Tumblr, and right now you can get to that Tumblr by just going to 500-days-of.tumblr.com. And it, in the future, it will be up at 500-days-of-tumblr.com. And also 500-days-of-tumblr.us. And those are my two domains that I own, but nothing is on there yet. I do have a site which I've been coding, which is my own blog platform, um, which I'm I'm just coding a WordPress-like CMS, and that's going to be a blog, and it's going to um, have some more sections on it, like so you can sign up for an email list and sign a guest book. And, you know, go to the events section and, you know, and get a contact page and stuff like that. But for right now, just check out those tumblers. And so those websites, uh, the website is also coming in the future. And one is just the Tumblr itself, but uh, mirrored onto a web page. And that's also the blog of the bigger site that I've been building that, um, you know, gives you the podcast, the podcast notes, and some other things I'll be doing. So some other things to look for in the future, I very briefly mentioned it, you might have heard it somewhere in there, in the podcast material, Uh, I did mention uh, myself as Infinity Report, that's my YouTube channel, there's nothing new on there now, there's the stuff that was just there from when it was Bailey Johnson, but it's going to have new videos that get into more like instructional and close-up um like informational videos on different subjects like you know how to's and different informational subjects and just um you know more like vlogs about you know diet and lifestyle and um, biohacking and things like that you know so information about meditation and consciousness and um you know, different, like, techniques and practices for, you know, biohacking and life hacks and uh, and so on. So that's going to be the Infinity Report. Um, I'll also have other things, you know, reviews and other things on there, like, obviously, Marvel reviews, since it is the Infinity Report, but just reviews on everything I love, like Gilmore Girls and everything, music and everything like that. And anyway, those are where you can find me for now. Um, Like I said, stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast that's coming out in a week. And then there will be another new episode coming out in September. So stay tuned for that.